Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Good morning, Kyra, and welcome into the working week. It is Monday morning. Ricardo in for Smithy, who will be back. I have it on uh, good authority Thursday morning. We'll have Smithy back on his show Thursday morning after his uh, time away. Well, it's been nearly a month at the T20 Cricket World Cup over in Australia. Coming up on the show today, uh, we're going to catch up with Jamie Wall shortly. He was at Murrayfield for the All Blacks this morning. He was also up to all hours watching the Black Ferns the night before. We'll get his take on both of those games. Uh, we'll also hear, well, yesterday we had a Bleeding Black show from uh, from 8am uh, with Steve Devine and Taylor Johnson and myself. We'll uh, bring you some of the highlights from that. After 8.30, Ben Ransom from Sky Sport UK is going to join us. We're going to talk the England squad for the FIFA World Cup, uh, their T20 World Cup win. Ricky Hatton's come back and... Uh, I don't know how much he's going to want to talk about that Women's Rugby World Cup final, but we might bring that up. And maybe the league semi-final against Samoa as well. Um, it very nearly wasn't a great weekend for England. After 10, we're going to talk UFC 281. Rod McSwain, Hot Rod McSwain, uh, former professional MMA fighter himself, now a trainer. We'll get his take on what went down. Two wins for the Kiwis, two losses for the Kiwis, and an absolute war between Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler to get amongst. We'll talk about all of that. We'll have a panel today as well. We'll catch up with Paulie Mawati from the TAB. After 11 o'clock, we'll talk Rugby League World Cup and Rugby League in general with Brandy Alexander. And there's a stumped as well at around 11.30 and your opportunity to win a TAB $50 bonus bet. Indeed, that's what Ricardo reckons. An incredible comeback on an historic night. Saw the Black Ferns crowned world champions again in the most unlikely of circumstances. Only a year ago, the Black Ferns had been put to the sword by England and France in four straight tests, and the reigning world champions were in disarray. Fast forward a year, there's a new coaching team, there's new personnel and a new style of rugby. Even though those changes had been made and the signs were that this was a team on the up, it would have been a brave rugby fan to have backed them in from the start of the tournament to finish as the world's best yet again. But they did it, and they did it in no small part. Credit has got to go not just to the team, but to the fan base as well. This is a new dynamic fan base that's been engaged by a team that plays with its heart on its sleeve and a freedom the All Blacks aren't generally afforded. 
there was none of the nervous murmuring that permeated the stadium in the 2011 Rugby World Cup final. This felt like a celebration of the game, and it carried on that feeling from the semi-final triumph against the French as well. The players talked about the noise and the size of the crowd after both games, and I think there's a correlation between that and the way these games were finally won. There were great defensive plays. There was expansive running rugby resulting in some fantastic tries. But the French missed a penalty to lose that semi-final and England knocked the ball on on the Ferns line to finish the final. And that crowd and that pressure that they exuded on those opposition teams certainly played their part in a world record sixth title win. got better as the game's gone on dribbling a little kick through his they talked about the direct running that the All Blacks needed in the second half and he's provided it yeah he's straightened the play out that's for sure ever since he's moved in one to that second five roll but he really does threaten well they thought about a shot at goal but they'll kick it into touch Stephen Pedalfetta puts it out Scotland were brave, at times they were brilliant, but in the end, the All Blacks got it right when they needed to. They had to work for it, but they did it. Four tries to two, 31-23 final score. Yeah, that was the All Blacks this morning. Uh, that game kicked off at about quarter past three this morning, if you were brave enough to get up for it, brave as, as brave as the Scots were. One man who was there at Murrayfield for the All Blacks versus Scotland uh, was Jamie Wall. He joins us now. G'day, mate. How are you? Ricardo, good evening from Edinburgh. Um, yeah, pretty pretty decent uh, pretty decent game we saw uh, this morning. Um, great crowd and yeah, pretty good occasion. They know how to do it up here in Scotland. I can tell you that much. Yeah, mate, uh, they, it looked like a great crowd. It was a great atmosphere and um, fantastic occasion. And you know what I really liked about this was I talked about this with Steve Devine yesterday. I'm bleeding black. Is that this is a Scottish team that is capable of playing exciting attacking rugby. And they didn't go into their shells and try and defend and play an old-school Northern Hemisphere style against the All Blacks. They tried to beat the All Blacks by playing the way that they know how. Yeah, that's absolutely right. They they, they didn't, and they didn't go in their shell after they got rocked pretty badly early um, by the All Blacks. They probably played, I reckon, probably the best 15 minutes of the season. Um, to be honest, they really asserted themselves on the Scots, but then the next hour or so just completely belonged to the home side. Uh, so, you know, a little, little bit of concern there. But for me, I think... Um, there's probably more positives and negatives out of this game um, in terms of Ian Foster. Uh, the most important thing being that the All Blacks kind of dug themselves into a bit of a hole or had, had themselves put there by, by Scotland and managed to get themselves out of it, uh, which was uh, which was actually pretty pleasing, I reckon, because that's a sign of a good team that can kind of play a lot of the game poorly but then still do the right things uh, at the right time. And get themselves out of jail. Yeah, I mean, it was a... There were times when I was watching this this morning, I was like, oh, Christ, this feels like uh, back to the middle of the year when we were losing to Ireland and Argentina. It had that kind of disjointed performance about it for, for large parts. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and I think that, for me, is why it's so pleasing that they managed to overcome that. You know, that like they they got over that mental block. 
um, and really impressed with uh, some of the players coming off the bench who had clearly been sent in with a message to sort, sort a bunch of stuff out. Um, and they did that, you know, some experience and some guys who've been under a bit of pressure uh, this year, you know, had a good game by Cody Taylor, really good impact, came on, made a really big turnover when he uh, when he first came on, and TJ Perinara had a really good game, I thought, uh, as well. So, yeah, just some some good stuff. I think that, you know, you get a look at it and go, well, they only, uh, that sort of margin over Scotland, like it's, uh, and, and, and giving up that sort of um, amount of territory and possession for the middle part of the game, uh, probably not acceptable by all black standards. But, you know, I just think that, you know, given what's happened this year, given the amount of trials and tribulations that they've had, and, yeah, back in July that they probably would have lost that game, um, it's at least there's some good signs of progress there. Definitely signs of progress. I, I guess maybe caught out a little bit by just how good Scotland were. Did Scotland overachieve, uh, do you think? I mean, or or at least uh, from an all-black point of view, what, what was expected by Foster and co.? I think like the way Scotland were going to play and um, the sort of players that they had uh, was pretty well telegraphed. Um, they have, they definitely have their reputation as being more expensive teams in the Six Nations. So, I mean, it was always kind of going to happen. All the talk during the week was about Finn Russell uh, and what he was going to bring to the Scottish team. I thought he had a pretty decent game. Stuart Hogg was really, really good too. I mean, but if I was a Scottish fan, I'd, I'd be disappointed, to be honest. Mm. They had three tries to, uh, disallowed, like literally an inch out from the line. Um, they should have gone into the half-time a couple of tries up. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the all-back defence. That was, that was pretty pretty decent, um, I thought. But, yeah, I think this is another really golden opportunity. Like the last time Scotland played New Zealand, where they were kind of undone at the end there, but, but they kind of have themselves to blame for for not actually picking up a historic win there. Now, one of the things that made the uh, that was talked about a lot in the media over here when the naming of this team was Geordie Barrett back to full-back. And, you know, if we rewind a while uh, a while back, people were talking about Geordie as a 12 and Foster said, no, I don't like that as an idea. Um, he's come in as a 12 and looked really, really good. Uh, but Harvili and uh, Anton Leonard-Brown were available and Foster took the, took the first opportunity to play them as a, a midfield combo. Um, I don't know what you make of that. I, I sort of looked at it and went... Sure, they've both been out for a while, but one gave away a penalty try and a yellow card and the other one threw a pass for an intercept. So I don't know if you put that down to them being out for a while or just maybe not being the best options there. Uh, Well, I think with Leonard Brown, I think he clearly needs a bit more game time. And um, I I just have the opinion that Havili may may not just be up to it uh, at this level. Um, Yeah, I mean, that was such a bad intercept that, I mean, Darcy Graham wasn't even really looking to catch it. He just passed it straight to his gut. So... I mean, yeah, Geordie's position in the team, I mean, it would be nice if Foster was just a bit more honest about what he saw, uh, his role in the team this year. Like you said, he, he'd originally said, no, he's, he's only a fullback. Uh, um, and then to have him come in at 12 and play really well and probably be most people's kind of first choice 12 going now has been more by accident than design on, on Foster's part. But, you know, if it is, that is the case, I'm happy to live with it. Uh, because if it means that he's going to form a decent centre pairing um, in there and is the first choice number 12, then that's ultimately a good thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, they obviously wanted to try a few things in the Scottish test. Um, we did see Nipo Laulala, I think, particularly his side of the scrum, struggle in that first half. And I, I noticed that uh, Toki Ahau and Whitelock both had chats to the referee to say, you know, hey, look, Scotland are pulling back here when we're trying to engage, yet we're getting penalised. It didn't work, uh, that chat, until the second half when the ref started to pick up on it. But what did you make of us at scrum time against the Scots? 
Yeah, it was a battle. I mean, uh, this Scottish front row did a, did, for, did a bit of a number on Nepo um, there. Uh, and um, then when Neil uh, came on, he got pinged in the first scrum as well. So, you know, a little bit to work on. Um, and it, just in terms of communication with the referee, yeah, it was pretty ongoing uh, throughout the game. But they kind of felt like they got the better of him um, when it really counted. You know, they had... Uh, they had TJ come on, and I think it wasn't wasn't as soon as we could hear that through the ref chatter. I mean, that guy just completely takes over the um, proceedings uh, in terms of what he has to say. So, you know, it's again, it goes back to what I said at the start about how they got things right at the right time, and part of that was down to the experience of the likes of TJ and Cody coming on and taking charge of that situation. Um, not saying that the you know the ref got anything sort of blatantly wrong or was coerced into anything, but it was just it was definitely like. You know the amount of pressure that went on him um, stepped up a bit once those bench, that bench got emptied. Dalton Papali won uh, man of the match. Um, he was in everything, a lot of turnovers, made a lot of tackles. What did you make of his performance? And did it, was he your man of the match? Oh, I think there's a few there's a few candidates, but he, he was up there. I mean, it's the second really good game in a row that Dalton's had. You probably. Uh, Make a, make a case for both of these games uh, being the best test that he's, he's played so far, which leads into a pretty interesting um, selection situation going into next year. Um, because, uh, you know, if he's if he can start again next week and have a good game at Twickenham, um, really going to leave some question marks over the open side uh, situation there for the All Blacks and what Sam Kane's role in this team is going forward. Because, of course, you know, the, he's, he's obviously captain. Um, with Samuel Whitelock, um, teams are doing a pretty good job of that in his absence as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one because Dalton really is uh, coming right at the time of year. And he, I mean, he's had a great season uh, all round, um, and he definitely feels like the balance with him and and Artie there at are really complementing one another really well um, so far on this tour. Yeah, no, it has looked it has looked really good. I can't wait to see some Blackadder in that mix as well, mate. Um, because that uh, could be a game-changer next year as well when he's fit. Uh, in terms of what we're going to see against England, uh, do you think there'll be more tinkering, or do you think the 15 that runs out against England will be what Foster considers his best 15? Uh, I'd say, that, yeah, definitely the top 15 that's, that's available um, for this week. Uh, you've got to remember that there were seven changes from, from last week, so I think it'll be a similar 15 to the one against uh, that we saw against Wales. Uh, run out uh, against England at Twickenham. Yeah, so uh, what, Mawanga back in 10, Bodie back to 15 and Geordie at 12? Yeah, yeah, Mawanga at 10, uh, I think is, is he's definitely telegraphed that that is the, the first choice lineup, and then, um, yeah, Bodie back at 15. And, uh, yeah, I would, I would hope to see Geordie having um, another run at 12 to sort of solidify that position going forward. And Cody Taylor, I mean, you mentioned him because he had a great super season, but then his form fell off against the Irish. Um, has he done enough to go back to our number one hooking spot, or do you think Foster, on today's evidence, might like him as a finisher, someone that can come on and change a game when you need him? Oh, I really think he might have found his niche uh, as a guy who can come on with that experience in a tight situation like we saw today. I think Takiaho is definitely the first choice that we've got, um, but given that uh, you know Taylor. Had the, had the yips earlier on in the year with the line-out throwing. He seems, seems to have sorted that out, and he just seems to be playing with a lot more confidence um, around the ruck uh, and really getting in there and, um, and you know, using his his experience and strength to kind of make a couple of key turnovers there was was really pleasing because uh, he's a good bloke. Uh, I like Cody. He, you know, he 
he still has a few good years in him, and it would be a sh- it would be a bit of a waste to see his experience get sort of tossed out. Uh, uh, going into such a crucial year like next year, it would indeed, mate. Hey, now you're you're uh, up there, obviously following the All Blacks around, but you would have tuned in for that World Cup final, mate. Mate, what did you make of uh, the uh, the win from the Black Ferns and uh, the performance of England in that final? Yeah, what a game and, and what an occasion. I mean, I think that um, you know something that all New Zealanders can be proud of that uh, you know we've got these these women out there representing the country in such a way that it's really grabbed the public attention and um, just the story that they've managed to create um, after what happened last year uh, that they've managed to come round to uh, packing out Eden Park and winning the World Cup and not just doing it but doing it in really really uh, exciting exhilarating style that we saw um, in terms of England like yeah I mean what well under them they're a great team and everything but at the same time I think it's it's a really good thing that the Black Ferns won because I don't want to see women's rugby just follow the route of the way that men's is seems to be going, which is heavily reliant on driving malls and um, kicking into the 22. Uh, I'd rather women's rugby stayed the way that the Black Ferns played it, which is let's just run it from everywhere and have it have it have it go. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, it was entertaining. All right, it was Steve Devine yesterday on Bleeding Black called it a battle of good versus evil. Uh, between the styles of the Black Ferns and the English women's rugby team. I don't know if he was too far wrong. Uh, there has been some talk uh, over here, probably not over there, about um, changing the laws around the rolling mall and maybe making it, And you know, when it stops the first time you've got to use it, you don't get a second crack. Uh, your, your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, it's an interesting one because it just once again does, does open up a lot of interpretation. I mean... Personally, I think that they should just de-incentivise um, the scoring of tries. Perhaps even making it worth less points would probably do uh, do, a bit, um, do go some way of lessening the amount of times we're gonna we're gonna see it on the field. But I mean, it's it's a hard one because, like, really, like England, it would be a law basically designed to stop teams like England, um, to stop mm. teams like I don't know Hawks Bay and the NPC or the Highlanders um, doing it. And it would be pretty unfair on them, uh, considering it's the one strength of the game. They, they do still require uh, a lot of uh, skill and technique. They're just bloody boring to watch. Um, uh, and the, I guess the difference with women's rugby is that it's a product that needs to be sold. And the Black Ferns had done such a great job of it during the World Cup. It would be a shame to um, you know, change the game. And, um, yes, please. Uh, It'd be a shame to um, kind of, like I said, toss away the what makes women's rugby so great. Yeah, you're not wrong, mate. You're not wrong, Jamie. Hey, listen, it uh, sounds like you're pretty thirsty. We'll let you go, mate, and get amongst. Uh, thanks very much for giving us some time, bro, and uh, enjoy the rest of that tour, right? No problem, Ricardo. We'll talk soon from London, all right? Yeah, it sounds good, mate. Will do. Jamie Wall there with us on tour with the All Blacks uh, from Scotland. It is 9.21 here on SENZ. You can uh, drop us a text with your thoughts on both those games uh, from over the weekend on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Or you can give us a call on 0800 150 811 and be in the draw for that Oklahoma Joe's Blackjack Charcoal Kettle Grill Barbecue as... SENZ's Caller of the Month. It's 9.27. Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for you. Plenty of texts coming through on double eight double three. the Temper Bed Post text machine. Hi, Ricardo. You should be able to get in and mess up a rolling mall and be able to pull it down. Save the rolling mall? Why? That's from Anthony. I think there's an argument to be had that you can get in and whoever's carrying the ball should be able to take their legs, right? Because that's tackling the ball carrier. That's allowed.
Um, that shouldn't be collapsing them all, I don't think. Um, Peter Mack has sent one through saying, uh, Christy is still a couple of seasons away from the presence we need behind our pack. Yeah, it probably has shown, particularly uh, against the bigger teams, their better opposition. Uh, Mark has said, momentum changed as soon as Christy and Akira was subbed. I think they've played their last game in tests at the top Lake Jersey. Might be a bit early to say that. I think, but I uh, understand where you're coming from on that. Graham has called through 0800 811. G'day, Graham. How are you? Oh, g'day, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. What did you uh, What did you want to talk? You want to talk All Blacks Scotland, Black Ferns? What are you? Yeah, doing? yeah. I mean, I spoke yesterday with Watto and Ian Jones about the women's game. I mean, that was just a marvellous occasion. I wasn't there, obviously, but um, you know, they just were brilliant. Yeah, and, and you know, it's um, you know, it's been good for rugby and good for the country, the whole event, really. Uh, you know, it, it's feel good factor, and you know, and I think they'll go, they'll move forward from this. But this, I mean, I think the momentum will continue. But with the All Blacks, um, Scotland, yeah, I mean, I agree with it, just about everything Jamie Wall said, really. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that yeah, the Scotland, we thought they'd be reasonably tough, and they were probably more than reasonably tough. You know, they, um, you know, possibly could have won that game, but you know, the All Blacks showed a bit of grit and I think that um, yeah there were a few you know I think that what he said about Cody Taylor's right maybe him as a you know he's got back his um, mojo again you know um, and some of Sony Tokia who's been you know one of the finds of the year in terms of the All Blacks so you know I think going forward you know that that's the way to go and I think um, you know Geordie Barrett back to 12 much as David Avelli's a crusader and all that and I think he's a very fine footballer I think with Richie Mwanga, I believe, is the number 110. I think that that pushes Bowden back to 15. And, um, yeah, so I sort of like Mark Talia, what a great debut he had. Looked like a latter-day Jonah Lomu with the hairdo. Well, <laughs> uh, not hairdo. Reminded me of Jonah. It was, um, you know, yeah, but just from the, you know, sort of sort of jaw upwards from a distance. But, um, yeah, no, they, they played very well. And, you know, the loose forwards, I think, properly, I think, yeah, I mean, personally, I just think, yeah, Sam, I don't think there's a place for Sam Kane, to be blunt. But, um, you know, with what you got with Dalton playing so well, and Artie's obviously playing absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, and as you say, Ethan Blackadder comes back into the mix next year, um, who I think will make the World Cup squad. Um, yeah, I just don't, I just think there's other players playing better. And, you know, we need people to do turnovers and those core roles, you know, um, the one-off hits and that, that that Kane's got at, you know, I don't, I just don't think, you know, we would, I think going forward we just need a different mix and um, Akira Iwani, you know, he's, he's up and down, <laughs> he has his, he can play, he plays very well against the Wallabies usually, but um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan, but yeah, he didn't do do a lot either. Um, we certainly improved, done. I think, when he went off and Shannon Frizzell came on, it just gave oh, us yeah, a bit well, of extra go forward. Shannon Frizzell was very good last week. You know, um, against the Welsh, you know, and obviously they've done rotation and, um, you know, changed the team, and that probably aided in a bit in Scotland to a degree. But, yeah, they'll have to roll out their number 115 against the English, and their, their number one, in their opinion, and their, and their number one, you know, backup reserves. But, you know, I thought it was a really good test, actually. Yeah, yeah I mean, Stuart Hogg and Darcy Graham, people like that, you know, they were just 
and Finn Russell had his moments. You know, they were brilliant for the Scots. No, the Scots um, play play a pretty good brand of rugby. It's got to be said, Graham. I think they're uh, they're a good side. They're an exciting side, an entertaining side to watch. Certainly more entertaining than uh, their their friends south of the border, shall we say? Graham, thanks very much for your call, mate. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven is our number here, of course. And our text line is double eight double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body, so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. When we come back. Ben Ransom from Sky Sport UK is going to join us right now, though. It's Aroha with the latest in news and sport. 26 away from 10 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Paul in for him. And it's coming home, or is it? Let's find out. Sky Sports Ben Ransom joins us. Uh, and Ben, Gareth Southgate has announced his team for the FIFA World Cup in Qatar that kicks off later on this week. What did you make of the squad that he put out? Well, first things first, Ricardo. Um, good morning, by the way. Um, thank you for playing my theme tune uh, to get me on air. Um, but also, I think the, that song still references 30 years of her. Um, and that was back in 1996. So it's been a fair <laughs> few years uh, more hurt since then. Um, but look, I mean, the squad's gone down pretty well, I think. And the reason being mainly uh, the inclusion of James Madison, because he was a player that a lot of people believed should have been in the squad because of his seat, uh, his form over the last, certainly last couple of months. Uh, he's been fantastic um, and he's kind of picked up where he left off at the end of last season. But many felt that Gareth Southgate wouldn't pick him because he has struggled to break into the squad in recent uh, in recent times. So to get that call up, I think, was quite exciting. Albeit then <laughs> yesterday we saw him uh, go off uh, potentially injured, but he says he's going to be all right. Um, and apart from that, I think it's pretty much as you'd expect a couple of um, risky calls, perhaps a couple of players coming back from injury that may or may not be fit for the group stages. But look, I mean, he's got 26 players, so I suppose it's slightly easier for him to kind of navigate that than it would have been in tournaments gone by. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, move taking Madison. And also, I think you could probably read something into it with Conor Gallagher too, looking at the group USA, Iran and Wales Traditionally, in the big games, Southgate's played a three-four-three with two sort of sitting midfielders, if you like, and there's not really room for a ten in there. Um, Gallagher and uh, Madison, neither of them really fit into that three-four-three, really. So that would suggest that maybe with those three games where they have to be more on the front foot, they're looking at changing formation and the way that they do things. Yeah, it would suggest that it gives him options. Certainly, um, you're right. The three-four-three, the kind of solid defensive. Uh, shape has been one that he's favoured. But that doesn't really include Jude Bellingham either, does it, if you think about it? Because if you think back to the Euros, you're right about those two holding midfielders. Look, Declan Rice is an automatic pick. And in the Euros, so was Calvin Phillips alongside him. Now, Phillips is the difficult one. He's one of those players who is not yet fully fit after injury. When I say fully fit, he has been back training with Man City, but he's not started games, so he's not match fit. And the World Cup, it starts in a week. I mean, there's no time. There's no two or three weeks to play a load of friendlies and get yourself ready. We're literally straight into it. So that is a risk. Um, in pre recent games, he's paired Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice, which Bellingham's a kind of box to box midfielder who could do it all. I mean, he's magnificent as a player, albeit very young. So he would potentially work in that role, but then it's a lot to put on his shoulders. So I think you're right. It looks as though, certainly for uh, those games, certainly for Iran, certainly for the USA, we'll see maybe a 4 4 2 3 1 or a 4 1 3 2, something like that. Um, 
which gives him that flexibility. And you're right, it means that a Madison uh, can can fit into that system much easier. And it also means potentially Harry Kane can get a bit of support up front if need be. Maybe Raheem Sterling playing closer to him or Callum Wilson, as you say, good form. Uh, he's been included in the squad as well. Now, I noticed that uh, Gary Neville um, and Jamie Carragher, both former England defenders, have said that they've looked at the defenders he's named and they don't see a, a central defensive pairing um, if he is going to play a you know two rather than a three at the back. Um, and I look through there and I think, well, you know, Ben White at Arsenal has been playing a lot of right back. Harry Maguire hasn't exactly been on form. Eric Dyer has not exactly been on form. John Stones has been a bit in and out with injury. And Connor Cody probably works better in a three than he does in a two. So uh, who do you expect to be the starting two if they play a back four? Um, I mean, I, I just think he'll go with what he knows. I, I actually think that it'll just be Maguire and Stones if he goes for a two. Um, because they played so well in the Euros together. John Stones is magnificent. I think he's uh, he's come on again. He's a really good footballer. Um, and if you play that with, you know, Kieran Trippier's got a lot of experience now. Um, he's been playing very well for Newcastle and Luke Short the other side. I think that, I think that's, that's your back four. I think you're right about Connor Cody. He plays better in a three. Although for Everton, I will point out, he's actually played pretty well um, alongside James Tarkowski. So he has put aside any doubts about him being able to play in that particular system. Um, Eric Dyer, again, I think he's better in a three. He is a player who, if you remember, played a lot of games in defensive midfield. He's that kind of like third defender, a bit of a sweeper type in a way. But again, under Antonio Conte, he's developed a lot. There are still mistakes in him. And I think that would be the worry about all the defenders, really, is that, you, I mean, to a man, pretty much, if you put that England defensive squad together, you can probably say, yeah, he can make a mistake. Yeah, he has made a mistake. So that's where England may suffer a little bit. So it'll be about the structure and giving them the, the shape to be able to perform. But I think, actually, you never know. It might be a blessing that Harry Maguire hasn't played a great deal of football because out of all the players going to the World Cup, he's going to have plenty of minutes in his legs that he, you know, he's going to be fresh. Uh, and actually, that defensive two, Stones and Maguire know each other pretty well. So that, that's what I fancy anyway. Mm, yeah, interesting. I mean, it's not like England are blessed at the moment with a lot of centre-backs. I mean, Tamori at AC Milan has been the only one that sort of people have said, why is he not there? But on the flip side of that, plenty of attacking talent in the uh, uh, that Gareth Southgate can uh, choose from at the moment. And if we talk about people having poor seasons, I'd have to say Raheem Sterling's right up there. Um, so has there been much talk about or you know conversation around his selection? Because, I mean, there's plenty of guys that have had better seasons than him. Uh, you know, Ivan Tony, even Danny Welbeck. You know, there's, there's players there that you could select that have probably had better seasons than Raheem Sterling. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. Absolutely. He's not exactly uh, set the world alight since moving to Chelsea. But then Chelsea have struggled a little bit, haven't they? I mean, Thomas Tuchel going, Graham Potter coming in, trying to get his ideas across. Raheem Sterling in recent weeks being used as kind of an auxiliary like wing-back has been a little bit strange. Um, clearly, that's not where he likes playing. But then, again, you only have to rewind to the Euros and Raheem Sterling didn't have the greatest of seasons for Man City. If you remember, he was in and out the team under Pep. And yet, for England, he was an absolute star. Um, I think his experience, again, it goes back to what I was saying about having a 26-man mm. squad. I mean, we go back, don't we, to tournaments past. And certainly being an England fan, I've sat there with my mates debating till the early hours who would be in a 23. That's so much more difficult to pick than a 26. Because in the old days, there was a 23. And then you'd always have three kind of standby players that you'd say, well, they deserve to get in. But I'm going to go with an extra striker or I'm going to have an extra midfielder or whatever. Well, 
he can have it all. And I think he has had it all. Um, there's enough attacking players there. I don't know how many are even going to get on the pitch, really. Because um, if he does play a front three, you'd imagine Phil Foden would have uh, would have his hand up to be included. Marcus Rashford has come back into form in the last month, really. Before that, you'd have said he was never going to get in the World Cup squad, given the way he ended last year and started this one. So there are players who have played themselves in. But then Bakayo Saka, you'd say he's probably a starter too. So maybe Raheem Sterling doesn't start. But what Gareth does have there is a player he can trust in and around the group. Mm, yeah, no, it's interesting. Actually, it's an interesting group that he's selected. Uh, ben, we should also uh, talk a few other things, mate. Uh, some celebration uh, from your point of view. T Twenty World Cup champions, England. Um, I wasn't sure that we were going to get a ball bowl because the weather forecast in Melbourne was terrible for this week. But you managed to get uh, the final done and dusted and uh, put away Pakistan pretty comfortably in the end. Yeah, I must admit, I did think maybe Duckworth and Lewis would be opening uh, for England. But no, <laughs> thankfully not. Thankfully, we managed to get through. I think um, when Pakistan were struggling in their innings, batting first, when England had those wickets, when they were restricting the runs and they were... And I think they were going at about five and over, weren't they, for the final few overs of that final. Um, eight down in the end. Setting England the target to win of 138, you thought, even though the conditions clearly favour the bowlers a little bit, England have got enough here. They've been the best team, the best batting team through the whole tournament. And nowhere did we see that more than against India in the semi-final. You really thought they'd, they'd knock them off. So when they lost Alex Hales fairly early, you thought, OK, well, maybe there's something in it. And then to be fair to Pakistan, they bowled really well in that middle period, didn't they? Just to restrict England's run rate and just make it seem like it would be, we would have a game. And then comes the crease, Ben Stokes. And... Look, you guys down there know what he can do in finals. He, again, seems to love the big stage, the big occasion. He loves the pressure. And I thought he was absolutely magnificent because he just, he kept the innings ticking over. He hit the big shots when he had to. But what he did was he gave England that platform. And as it got nearer to the end, you just felt there's no way England's going to lose this. And it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? the turnarounds in in English one-day cricket and just how dominant they've become, having won the 50-over World Cup and now back that up with T20 success. As the favourites, England don't do this. England do not go into tournaments of any sort as the favourites and deliver. Uh, so fantastic from everyone in the squad. All the players had to play a part. We had our own injuries. I know Pakistan suffered in the final, but for example, having Mark Wood unavailable. But Sam Curran bowled absolutely brilliantly in that first inning. So look, I think it was a fantastic effort. And yeah, I, I think this group deserve a lot of plaudits for the way they go about playing the game. Yeah, they played a fantastic tournament and uh, well done to them, mate. I wasn't so uh, happy for you in the Rugby League semi-final against Samoa. I mean, uh, that was a turn-up for the books, wasn't it? A team you'd beaten 66 in pool play knocks you over in the in the, uh, in the semi-final. Yeah, I, I think you saw it from the coach, Sean Wayne, afterwards, didn't you? A bit of a tear in his eye. I think he, he realised that it's a missed opportunity. And this is more like England sport at major tournaments because you're right absolutely humbled Samoa uh, straight away out the blocks at the start of the tournament. Um, I seem to remember before that game, all the talk was, I think, certainly from uh, some of the pundits down in your part of the world, that England had no chance. So to blitz them as they did, I think was really impressive and to play some good rugby league as well. Um, obviously, they would have been confident going into this semi. Uh, they would have been confident of reaching a final, giving England another big uh, ceremonial set piece. Um, but yeah, look, a game full of drama. I mean, what a contest. Samoa, you've got to hand to them because they were, they probably should have had the game buried earlier than they did. 
but uh, England to keep coming back, coming back. He just felt maybe at the end the momentum was there. So again, for Samoa to just get over the line, credit to them because that is a really impressive effort, especially the way that obviously the squad has been knitted together. Um, but I mean, England, I think, can go out of the tournament with a lot of pride, albeit it's obviously very sore right now because there's a lot of disappointment in that group. I think they felt as though being at home, they were on the verge of something really special. Yeah, and I mean, your your England women's rugby team were on the verge of something special as well, weren't they? I mean, uh, that final was uh, would have been 30 games unbeaten if they'd managed to, to, to beat the Black Ferns and it would have uh, ended in a World Cup win as well. It sort of echoes of uh, the All Blacks in, in years gone by where they would be the best teams between World Cups but couldn't quite get it done at tournaments. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's, it's exactly that. That's kind of that struck me too. Um, yeah, they've not lost the game since 2019. Now, I know we had COVID in the middle of that, but that is a remarkable run of results. And then to come so close, uh, I mean, you've got to feel for all of the girls involved. Um, the opportunity to cement themselves and to really, I mean, they will have, people had an interest in this. That's what's great about women's sport over the last few years is the increased profile it's getting in this country in terms of media coverage and in terms of interest as well. As fans, we now talk about it a lot more than we ever did before. We know when these games are on. We're engaged as a, as a, as a kind of a sporting public. And I think that's fantastic. And it's what they are doing is runs like this to the final, albeit heartbreaking defeat in the end. We're getting to recognise the achievements of some fantastic uh, athletes. And it's inspiring a whole generation. And I absolutely love that. Um, I mean, look, I, I was at the, uh, the World Super Welterweight title fight, unification fight last night. Natasha Jonas, one of our, I mean, boxing pioneer. London 2012, first boxer, female boxer to box for Team GB. Came up short, you remember, against Katie Taylor in Epic. Um, they've since had a rematch. I mean, she's now 38. And it's taken her until her 38th year to get her hands on a world title, one of our best female fighters. But you thought for a long time she was not going to get the prestige. And then, lo and behold, last night she's headlining an event in Manchester in front of nearly 10,000 fans who have come out to see her and see that action. And I think that just shows this calendar year specifically how much interest in women's sport has grown and for the athletes themselves, some well-deserved recognition. Yeah, indeed. Good stuff, Ben. Thanks very much for your time, mate. We'll let you go and enjoy your evening and uh, no doubt catch up with you over the World Cup, eh? Yeah, a week to go. Crazy, isn't it? It's going to be here before we know it. It will be indeed. Ben Ransom from Sky Sport UK. It is 12 away from 10. Smithy's Cricket Update, thanks to Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand. Perhaps the final moment of a thrilling month of crickets. Ben Stokes, ever-present, faces up. He swings across the line and hits oh. the winning run. Ben Stokes waves his bat in jubilation to 80,000 at the MCG. And England stands as the dominant force in white ball crickets. They win the T20 World Cup. Go and get the ball, Jared. It's still alive. And add it to the 50-over title. Yeah, Ben Stokes, uh, captain's not, you'd call it if he was captain. 52 not out from 49 balls from him. They chased down at Pakistan's 137 with an over to spare. Uh, shout out to Sam Curran as well. Took three for 12 from four overs with the ball. Superb performance from the English T20 team.
Coming up to 10 o'clock, you can keep your texts rolling through on double eight double three, the Temper Bedpost text machine. Jared said, let's be honest, when this mishmosh all-black side was named, a game of this type was always on the cards. It's good because we've answered some questions around some players. Great to see TJ coming back in and showing what we've been missing regarding a backup halfback. Obviously, we will feel our A squad this weekend against England, so any true judgment should be off the back of that match. And for goodness sake, when, we are, when are we going to do away with that pathetic knockdown law that leads to unwarranted yellow cards? So ridiculous. And that's from Jared. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, I mean, the Scots suffered from that, didn't they? That was uh, harsh, to say the least, when their play got yellow carded in the second half of that test this morning. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to have a panel with James Regan and Aidan McLaughlin, and we're going to talk UFC with Hot Rod McSwain. It's four past ten here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy uh, will be back for you Thursday morning, bright and early, and no doubt uh, after his excursion to Australia for the T20 World Cup. And uh, yeah, what a final that was last night with the uh, Poms getting it done against Pakistan in the end. Uh, their bowlers really uh, strangled the Pakistani batsmen. Uh, I think the only three of the Pakistani batsmen made it into double figures, so they really uh, made it hard for them to score runs. And as a result, they had only ended up having to chase down 137 uh, to win the World Cup, and they did that, so well done to the Poms. Coming up, we do have a panel with James Regan and Aidan McLaughlin on it as well. Uh, we're going to catch up with Paul Mawadi from the TAB this hour as well. After 11, Greg Alexander, SEN host and NRL commentator. We're going to talk Rugby League World Cup with him ahead of... Uh, the final this week with Samoa playing the Kangaroos in the final course the Kiwi Ferns uh, in action against the English uh, tomorrow morning as well and the Kangaroos play Papua New Guinea tomorrow in the women's semi-finals of the World Cup so plenty of rugby league action still to come we'll talk to Brandy Alexander about all of that after 11 o'clock and your opportunity as well to win a $30 uh, sorry a $30 a $50 TAB bonus bet at 11.30 uh, or just after with Stumped. We'll do all of that. We are going to talk UFC now because it was UFC 281 at Madison Square Garden in New York yesterday. Uh, we we're hoping to get Hot Rod McSwain on the phone uh, to talk uh, former Kiwi uh, MMA pro uh, and now trainer, but uh, struggling to get hold of Rod at the moment. So uh, Brian's going to sub in. In the meantime, uh, Brian... Four Kiwis on the card yesterday, uh, two two wins, two losses, and probably the biggest surprise of all is is he going down in the uh, in the in the title decider? Yeah, surprise, no, because uh, you've seen it happen twice before with that guy, so not surprised, but uh, shocked, you know, yeah. shocked. Yeah, shocked. I think it's probably. I mean, there were parallels. I think. Uh, in this fight to the last time that they fought when Pereira it was the same knocked thing. Izzy out. Izzy was winning the fight, yeah. had done almost everything he needed to do. Uh, I mean, I think at that time when he lost the last fight to Pereira, he had given him a standing eight count, yep. uh, which they don't have in UFC, obviously, but they had in boxing. Yeah, uh, and that and, saved him. And, yeah, in kickboxing. And that saved him, really. Uh, and then he got he, he got Izzy with a lucky punch. Well, we saw much the same. He was he, he was 3-1 up on all the judges' cards. Yeah. And um, yeah, he probably pro- just dropped that second round. Yeah, um, I think. And but he just he did things that were a bit uneasy, like like standing in front of him with his back to the cage. That, I found that really strange too. Um, it, it was it was really really weird uh, how he just 
would walk back. But usually he circles out, but he was going straight back mm. to a guy who likes to just walk straight forward. Now, we have actually seen this fight. If you go back and watch that kickboxing fight, same thing happened. Izzy pieced him up for most of the fight. And, you know, uh, Alex, Alex had a couple of good moments. And then uh, the punch. Now, I don't believe any of them were lucky at that level when you train that hard and you've been setting up to try and punch the bloke in the face. It was on purpose. You know, you know, like um, I could throw a lucky punch and knock someone out. Mm. No problem. But someone at that at that level, I don't I don't think there is such I don't well, think. Well maybe luck really lucky's is the wrong word. I think maybe it was a Hail Mary punch. Well it was, because that yeah. was all he had left, uh, all he could do. He had lost the fight and they said to him in that corner, you need to go out and win this bout. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I think that's a that's a really good point, you know. Um, so I think he'll be kicking himself there. Apparently, there is a rematch clause. There has to be. Yeah. Because you think about it, the division was cleared out. Yeah, this blows the division right wide open. But is he uh, won that much and is that big of a star that they have to do the rematch next? It, mm. It's the logical thing. And if he wins that, I'd love to see Pereira go up against Whitaker. Mm. I'd love to see. He's huge. He's a light heavyweight. I'd love to see him try um, uh, like a, a wrestler like a Brunson or even a Cannonier. Yeah. Yeah, Cannonier would be great because he's another big fighter, you know, another really big fighter. Managed to track him down. Hot Rod McSwain joins us, uh, former MMA pro and uh, coach who's involved with the CKB team as well. Uh, g'day, Rod. How are you, mate? Hey, how's it going, Ricardo? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. Um, we were just talking about Israel's uh, loss and, and, and losing the title and uh, maybe some of the parallels we saw from his last fight against Pereira where he dominated the fight uh, and then just tried to manage it out and, and ended up losing it. Yeah, and unfortunately, April, that's um similar tale to the last one. Um, man, just first off, just super gutted. You know, I thought he was three rounds up, three to one rounds, and he was looking good in that last round. Um, got caught with that bloody left hook again. Mm -hmm. um, dealt with it a little bit better with uh, the four ounce gloves, and um, just probably couldn't get to the clinch or couldn't get couldn't get in close to nullify those those strikes that onslaught. From um, Pereira, what did, yeah, bro. What did you make of um, the way you know? Given he was trying to manage the fight out, obviously he was up three one on you know on all the judges' cards. Um, but the fact that he was going backwards and going backwards in a straight line and ended up with his back on the cage rather than you know <clears throat> trying to circle out. I guess, I guess it's relative to how the first four rounds were going, bro. Like he was doing that in the first four rounds, and then he'd fake going uh, left, and then he'd quickly circle out to the right and um just you know, I guess he was getting a bit comfortable bro maybe maybe gassing a bit and um he just he just got a bit too comfortable with his back against the cage because mm. nothing was really landing in the in the first four rounds nothing crazy significant and um you gotta remember Israel doesn't get hit a lot you know he's not used to getting big shots so when that big shot came through it um it, it rocked him and when you get rocked you know you um the lights go out, the curtains close. Um, you got to deal with it for f five to ten seconds of just like a bomb's just gone off alongside you, and that—that's the feeling. So um, it, it's hard for Israel to to fight through that, I guess, because he hasn't been there a lot. So um, we do a few drills at the gym to mimic that, and um, but uh, man, it's it's different when you're when you're in there, Ricardo. You know? Yeah. Well, I suppose it's hard. To, I mean, you know, like you say, you try and mimic it, but you can't exactly um, land bombs on a guy to teach him how to deal with it, can you? It's not uh, not conducive to to, well, to, yeah. to to being long in the sport doing that. 
Exactly. There's a few drills we do to to mimic the feeling. Like one one of them would be like if you if you're dizzy. Yeah. You know, if you jump on a jump on a um one of those kids' playgrounds on that spinny thing and spin around, you get off. It's it's kind of a similar feeling. So um, we don't bring one of those in, but <laughs> we um, we do similar stuff. And um and normally, you know, it, I thought initially watching the fire, I thought it would stop just a tad early, you know. But I, you, you do have to look out for someone's health and more shots to the head. It's um it's just gonna um just gonna extend the recovery, you know, with the concussion return to play um, protocol. It'll mm-hmm. just extend that. So I'm, I'm I'm glad he didn't get too many shots to the head. And um but like the fighter and, and you wants him to go, Hey man, he could have come back, you know, he didn't drop. He um he Israel, you know, he, he could have shot for a takedown or, or clinched him up and maybe survived the round and, and won the title, but hey, it, uh, it wasn't looking good for him at that point. It wasn't, mate. I mean as a uh you know, somebody who's watched a lot of Israel I looked at um, his, you know, his last maybe four or five fights, and I mentioned used the words managing, um, and he's done that. He's managed his title victories of late, but we haven't really seen him finish anyone. Uh, even when he's had opportunities to, he's rather than take the risk to finish someone, he's just managed the fight out, and it hasn't cost him until now because uh, you know he could have finished Carlos probably at the end of the first. He uh, had opportunities to finish him in the third as well and didn't do it. Um, is that something that's a worry for you as you look at? Is he not you know closing fights out and actually going the distance uh, more often than not? I think, bro. If you look at his second fight with Pereira. Um, he he tried to go for the finish, okay. Mm. So Israel was was his first fight. He managed and he got a loss. So his second fight, the mentality was, well, if I manage this fight in, against Pereira in his hometown, I'm definitely not going to win a decision. So um, I'm just going to take him out. So he rocked him in the second fight. He uh, gave him an eight count in the second round, I think, and in the third round, um, he came out guns blazing. And the problem is, Pereira's like uh, he's dangerous, man. Even when he's hurt. Just one of those. If you're close enough to be in range of his left hook, you're close enough to die, man. It's you know that's the that's the thing. So I guess he's the most dangerous when he's hurt, or he's the most dangerous when you're trying to finish him. So I guess Israel, rather than press forward in that last round, uh, was trying to back up. But the problem was, Pereira, he's fearless. He just kept coming forward, and he's. You see, when when Israel nearly dropped him in the end of that first round, it was because. He, Pereira was coming forward, throwing bombs. So he'll throw a big left hook, but he'll drop his right hand. He'll throw his big overhand right, but his left hand's not on his guard. So Israel can pick those shots, but man, if you want to sit there and try and pick off those shots, which paid off in the end of that first round, he, he give him another five seconds, that fight would have been done, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, but you know, that's the thing. you you got to... Risk it, risk it for the biscuit, bro. <laughs> <laughs> risk and reward, man. Risk and reward. Uh, there, there will be be a rematch. I guess it's just a matter of when. I, I wouldn't imagine we're going to see it um, till what, probably middle of next year. It's like with with concussions and and the sport, Ricardo. It's the UFC don't care too much because you know it's just a, it's a business, not a um, you know it's not really a sports body organization. Mm. So um, they'll try and push for it ASAP. But the coaches and the team will, will sit down and we'll do a. <clears throat> they'll have they'll follow protocol. They'll have a look at the symptoms, see how Israel's going. That again, it looks like he didn't get a bad concussion, just a few, maybe a minor one. So um, the recovery should be pretty good. And um, I, I'd say depending on him and the coaches, you're looking at yeah, probably middle of next year. Mm. 
you know, who knows, Pereira might fight before that, he might lose before that. Um, but I think, hopefully, in Israel's position, he would have a, a rematch clause uh, definitely after a, a potential loss. Yeah, you'd think so. You'd think so. Well, hopefully we get more uh, information about that soon, mate. Well, let's, let's talk about a few of the other fights on the card. We'll get to the other Kiwis in a minute, but I think, you know, the the fight of the night for me had to be uh, Poirier versus Chandler, didn't it? Chandler came out with his foot to the floor, and I thought he was going to win it towards the end of that first round, but uh, Poirier hung on and then ended up uh, winning by rear naked choke in the third. Oh, man. I've, I'm guilty uh, Ricardo, I did not watch that fight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bro. Sorry. Well, you need to go and find it, man, because that was the fight of the night. Okay. Damn, bugger. I fire out. Okay. I'll I'll see where I can find it and, and give it a watch. Yeah. I thought I thought I, I thought Poirier was going to do well in that fight, just because I like I like Chandler, but he doesn't utilize his wrestling as he as much as he should because he's got such good wrestling, and all if you if you see his Instagram or his or his feed, that's all he's doing. All he's doing is wrestling, chain wrestling, taking people down, and you see his fights and he's brawling. It's like, bro, come on, man. Let's see some of that chain wrestling. Well, he, Chandler had Poirier's back at one point, and Poirier was uh, complaining to the referee, and they showed it afterwards because they interviewed him afterwards after he had the win, and then they showed some footage afterwards. Chandler was trying to fish hook him. He was trying to um, put his fingers <laughs> in his mouth to pull his head up so he could get underneath his ne- under his chin. Um, and so, yeah, he was a bit filthy about yeah. that. They, I mean, they weren't too friendly before the fight, and they weren't much friendlier after, mate, to be fair. Yeah. Um, let's talk the Kiwis, hey, the, the other Kiwis there, mate. Dan Hooker, great to see him back and, and, and with a, a solid win. Uh, it's not often you see someone winning by TKO of body kicks. That just shows the, the toolkit of Dan. You know, people don't realise that he's probably one of the best guys in the gym and with the, probably the most diverse skill set, you know, from range and close, boxing, kicking, wrestling, jits. Uh, that's why he's the captain of the team, man. Dan, Dan's got it all. So um, those teeps, oh my gosh, you don't want to be at the end of those. <laughs> and I guess it's it's similar to uh, Dan's first fight in the UFC. Ian Entwistle, Mr. Footlock, going after all those footlocks, even got a heel hook on Dan, and Dan just waved his finger at him and then elbowed him in the face for the finish. <laughs> so, um, you know, he's no stranger to someone playing footsies or attempting to. But if you can't get Dan down, it's going to be a long night. Yeah, well, it felt like uh, Puel's had basically had no um, no game, uh, no plan B. You know, he just kept trying <laughs> to do it, and then Dan was just like step back and tell him to get up and step back. Now, you know, and then the crowd got on his back as well. Um, yeah, it was an interesting one. I, I tell you what, there'd be there's a few, there was a few people suggesting, and a few of them were fighters as well, suggesting on Twitter uh, that Puel's would get sacked by Dan, Dana White after that performance. Oh. <laughs> They're a bit harsh. Eh? We, we all have bad days in the office, mate. <laughs> Some of those guys have a bad day; they get sacked. Come yeah. on now. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was the, it was the sitting down on his backside all the time that was uh, was bringing that on, mate. Um, Carlos Ulberg too, uh, good win for him, mate. Another another win, another knockout win as well. So uh, he's definitely on the on the on the road now. He seems to have gotten used to the UFC and his take def- down defense has gotten better, and uh, he's been able to use his striking again. Just amazing. See that footwork and range. Um, just mixing up the jab with the with the kicks and just following following the game plan. You know, like the the game plan. People don't realize that the edge that the CKB boys have over over other teams is is the planning, the coaching. Look at the coaching staff. You know, um, huge. You got um, you got Andre. You got the wrestling. You got the 
you got Mike Angove, you know, they know what they're doing, man. And if you just follow the game plan, if you have the confidence to listen and trust, trust is a big thing when you're cornering. Like I just ran a boxing show in the weekend and the guys who listen to their corner, they're the ones who, who came out and, and did really well. And um, see, Holberg just, there was times there where he, he could engage and make it a firefight, but why? You know, we got, listen to the coaches, stay relaxed. And um, his opponent, he had to get in there. He had to, he was forced to rush in. When you're forced to rush in, um, you're going to leave holes. And then he was countering with his overhand right after Auberg's jab and got the read. So Auberg would sway the jab, chuck a left hook over, and that was that was done. You know, just a bit of patience and um, precision. Patience and precision indeed, mate. And uh, the, finally, we should talk uh, Quake Riddell. Didn't go his way. Uh, another loss for him. I think that's three in a row now. He might might be a little bit nervous if if Dana White uh, number comes up on his phone. Yeah, man, that was that was tough to watch. You know, poor Brady. Um, Brady's got a he's got a you know he's got a new new little family, and um, I guess I've got a new little family, and, and and with Dan and stuff. And sometimes, you know, it's hard to just put all your energy into fighting because if you're not one hundred percent focused on your fight or your training, um. You know, there's energy going elsewhere, and you, and you put yourself at risk, and it's tough. You know, the Dan's, Dan's uh, Brad's awesome. He's, he's a workhorse in the gym. He's got all the skill sets, and um, just watching him not defend the choker was hard. I was, I was like, man, come on, bro, fight the hands. You know, he wasn't fighting the hands. He's good, man. His jits is good. His wrestling's good. I feel he's a better striker than Moicano, but he just didn't didn't turn up mm. on on that day, and it and just heart goes out to him. Love that fella. Yeah, well, hopefully we see him back uh, and he gets another crack um, at the UFC as well. And uh, UFC 281, I've just been told as well in my ear uh, from Brian, has set a record for the most first-round knockouts in UFC history. There were seven on the card last night. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I definitely have to watch the whole card. The <laughs> you definitely do. Hey, Rod, thanks very much for your time today, bro. I really appreciate it. Um, always good to get some uh, information from someone that's been there. Uh, it's got some insights of what it's like to be in the in the octagon and also uh, continues to work with these guys as, as a trainer as well, mate. Really appreciate your time. Keep up the good work, eh? Awesome. Thanks a lot, Ricardo. You have a good day, mate. Yeah, you too, man. Uh, Hot Rod McSwain there with us talking UFC 281. It is 10.21 when we come back. It is the panel. The panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 10.26 on the uh, mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Ricardo in for him. It is time for the panel. We'll get there. Uh, yet yeah, Aidan McLaughlin joins us out of the Hawks Bay. G'day, Aidan. How are you? Morning, Ricardo. A bit tired. Watched a lot of sport at the weekend, but pretty good apart from that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel you. I feel you. And uh, uh, joining us from further afield, James Regan, who's up in the UK for the Rugby League World Cup. G'day, James. How are you, mate? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you are there? Yeah, you got me? Yeah, you got yeah, you I'm now, here, James. Mate. Don't you worry. That's all right, mate. <laughs> That's all right, James. Uh, uh, we, we've got a, a lot to go, get through. There's been so much sport over the weekend. Let's start, though, with the Black Ferns uh, winning the Rugby World Cup against the Poms at Eden Park and, you know, stopping them going 30 in a row. Uh, James, how many? How much interest was there in the north of England, given you're in the middle of rugby league territory? Yeah, an interesting one. There was definitely a bit of chat about it. Um, where we were was obviously focused on on the lead that was on over the weekend, but even then there was a bit of talk, and you mentioned the, the unbeaten run, and that's what people were really really 
kind of eyeing up that, you know, um, the Blackburns had managed to break it. But before then, it was like, wow, this England team is, is pretty special. So it, it kind of shows that it's recognised all over that this was a great England team going into it. But what the Blackburns did was just amazing. So it was definitely, yeah, it was definitely spoken about, that's for sure. Yeah, and Aiden, I mean, from your point of view, I know you've got uh, daughters that, that play sport, and I'd imagine this tournament's been uh, a bit of a an awakening for them, or you know, sort of seeing women's sport in the limelight and given the same sort of coverage as as the men traditionally get. Yeah, I guess my girls are pr- pretty lucky. You know, they're growing up in an era where we, we we roll from tournament to tournament. It's a golden age, really, isn't it? You know, cricket World Cup seven, eight months ago, uh, now this World Cup, and then obviously football next year as well. So they're pretty they're pretty sport, I think, in terms of women's uh, sporting coverage. But, yeah, they, they've been glued to it, just as I've been glued to it. And I think uh, the great thing about this team is that they're so accessible, the Black Ferns, and they may, they play such a, an enjoyable brand of rugby. It's hard not to fall in love with what they've done, isn't it? You know, with the, uh, a young girl, um, a middle-aged man, or, you know, someone a bit older, it's just... The product's been great, and their communication uh, has been great. And they, you can just see that they just really love the attention that they've got. They're humbled by it, and um, it's just been a great six weeks, really. Yeah, it has, and it's felt like a, a celebration of sport, hasn't it, James? I know you've, you, you're watching it from afar at the moment, but it really has felt like a celebration of sport. There hasn't been too much of the doom and gloom uh, merchants going on like you might get if it was an All Blacks Home World Cup, worrying about this, that, the other thing. Yeah, 100%. And I obviously couldn't make it to the final, but had a few had a few friends go. And, and I felt the same uh, at the very first game, the opening game of the tournament. It was just a different feel about it, which was which was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, it was, it was a family atmosphere. It was a party atmosphere. And, and you could tell that no one really knew what to expect, especially early on. Um, and they certainly got a bit of a fright against Australia, but they the way the momentum built for the Black Ferns and the tournament as a whole was just amazing, and and it it does it does have a different feel about it compared to if it was the All Blacks or whoever, which is great, and I think it's probably what it's done, and the the, the best thing it's probably done is brought in a whole new a whole new type of fan, a whole new kind of um, a whole new kind of person that's going to watch rugby now, and especially women's rugby, which is great. And that, that, that can only be good for the sport, can only be good for rugby, and it can only be good for women's sport in, in New Zealand as well, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I think you've hit on something uh, well there, mate. That demograph of uh, fan that they've got along is something that, you know, New Zealand rugby is trying to been cap- been trying to capture with the All Blacks and Super Rugby for some time, and hasn't been able to do it. When the Black Ferns have had sitting there the whole time, have managed to go out and and capture that audience that they've been uh, New Zealand rugby's been looking for for so long. So hopefully that brings sponsorship dollars, that brings money, and mm. we can uh, take it to the next level with our professional game here for the women and the Black Ferns going forward as well. Uh, it's ten thirty. Time for news and sport. The panel will continue after the latest from Aroha. The panel. Twenty-seven away from eleven. Uh, James Regan from News Hub is in the UK covering the Rugby League World Cup, and uh, mate, it's been a fantastic story for Samoa, hasn't it? And um, the way that they've turned things around from being beaten sixty to six in their opening pool game and being criticised here, there, and everywhere, uh, to turning over the Poms uh, in the semi-final and making the final against the Kangaroos. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was kind of the perfect full circle moment, wasn't it? I mean, that game that game had a bit of everything and it was the kind of game, especially off that Kiwis-Kangaroos clash, that the World Cup really, really needed to to not kick off, but certainly kick on in a way ahead of this final. And look, the, the Kangaroos will go into this game as, as heavy favourites, but you do, as, as kind of someone who likes to romanticise about sport, you do have to go, well, you know, there's always a chance and you can guarantee everyone outside of Australia is going to be going for Samar. And they deserve full credit. Matt Parrish deserves full credit. He's had a lot of critics. I certainly had a few questions after that after that first game of the tournament where they got turned over by England, whether, you know, this could turn pretty ugly. But it, the way they've been able to carry themselves and the way they have just grown into things, but also the... They've, straight, they've stayed true to themselves and they've certainly um, done Samoa proud. Uh, it's just amazing. It, it's an amazing story. And if they can even go close or go all the way, oh, just you can't even imagine what the scenes are going to be like across Samoa and, and, and in New Zealand as well. It's just going to be unreal. But even to get to this stage, they deserve so much credit, every single one of them. What's been the reaction from the press in the north of England to England losing that game? Yeah, certainly, certainly a few eyebrows raised. I think this, there's no doubt about it. This was the way they were playing, and and the way the tournament was unfolding. You you get a sense that a lot of people think this was the best chance England have had in a long time to actually win the thing. The Kangaroos have just come off a really bruising clash against the Kiwis, and they look like they could be exposed. England have have probably up until the semis been one of the most coherent and and kind of fluid teams that we've seen, even when they've had a rough patch, which was only about 20 minutes of one of their games, they've they've come through it and they've they've done really well. And you certainly got a sense that this was their best chance to win it. And they just, for a large portion of that game against Samoa, they just look stunned. Um, And and that's full credit to, to Samoa, don't get me wrong, but England... They, they were under the pump and they couldn't come up with the answers. So certainly a lot of disappointment and, and frustration because, as I say, they, they they should be at the final, you know, or they, they certainly think they should be with the team they've got and the way they were going. Aidan, you've been watching from afar from back here. I know that it's... Um... Uh, what raised a few eyebrows for me was the draw. Somehow England managed to avoid both New Zealand and Australia into the final until the final in the men's draw. And in the women's draw, the only two teams to win it are in the same pool in Australia and New Zealand. And England have to play the might of Brazil and Canada. Uh, certainly says something about the way the draw has been done. Yeah, if we thought the uh, the Women's Rugby World Cup draw was a wee bit weird that the way the, the quarterfinals here were worked out, then the Rugby Leagues uh, should hold my drink, haven't they, really? It was, um, it's, all very, it's all very odd. Um, I just don't even understand how you can kind of get to that. I mean, we've seen quite a few different types of draw for the Rugby League World Cup over the years to, I guess, try and generate a bit of early interest. You know, I can think of you know, Australia playing England in opening games and things like that just to kind of try and kickstart the tournament. But... Um, yeah, this this time around, it's it's been really strange. I mean, you know, for Samoa to to lose heavily in that first game against England, and for Australia really to to play no one of note until the semi final, it's just a bit, yeah. I mean, it's hard to to just generate that interest until the quarter final, semi final stage of tournaments like that. It just yeah, it, it really is. A, it's difficult when there aren't that many teams that can compete for the trophy. That that should be said. 
but yeah, you'd think there was a better way to do it this year, time round. You would have thought so. Uh, we also saw the All Blacks in action this morning, Aidan. Uh, they got past Scotland in the end, uh, 31 to 23, but certainly didn't have it all their own way. It wasn't the strongest All Black 15, but um, I think maybe answered a few questions around a couple of positions in the, that All Blacks team ahead of the England game. Yeah, it was pretty scrappy, wasn't it? I mean, there were seven starting changes and I think two positional changes to the team that beat the Welsh a week ago. And, uh, I mean, in the build-up, the strangest thing for me was probably Geordie Barrett was playing, but he was playing fullback. You know, I thought he might have had a week off before England, but no. Um, if, uh, for me, if he was going to play, he needed to play 12 just to keep betting down that uh, th- that position for him because I think he's done really well there since he's come in. Um, it was good to see Anton Leonard, Brannard, Anton Leonard Brown back. But then, of course, he had a bit of a nightmare start giving away not only that penalty try, but uh, departing for 10 minutes because of the resulting yellow card. And that, that was actually when the game changed, really, wasn't it? Because the All Blacks had started strong. They'd got that two-try lead. Then the yellow card got his come right, right back into it. Um, and then suddenly Scotland are, are winning at half-time. And the All Blacks don't score again until the 61st minute. Credit to the All Blacks. They've come back. You know, they had some decent impact off the bench. Um, and they've got the job done. But, uh, yeah, when it got to that hour mark, um, I think there would have been a lot of nervous people, especially Foster and come up in that box. Mm, yeah, very much so. James, um, I don't know if you managed to get to see this game, but it was very much mm. um, Foster. Had, it wasn't his idea to put Geordie at 12, and it doesn't seem like he, he's still convinced by the idea. Uh, so he went back to his his preferred combo of Leonard Brown and Harvey. One through a... Uh, intercept try and the uh, pass for an intercept try and the other one got yellow carded and uh, considered a penalty try so it didn't exactly go well uh, what did you take away from this test well, I, I think it's great I think as a whole you, you kind of look back and this has been one of the most entertaining and, and and thrilling all black seasons we've seen for a very long time I mean Scott, Scotland played incredibly well with, with an incredible heart and, and let's not get it wrong this wasn't a this wasn't a bad All Blacks team. There was a lot of players in there who who could have a who could have a go at the uh, the starting fifteen. And so, from a from a fan's point of view, and, and taking the All Blacks hat off, it was it's great. And it's kind of just another chapter in, in the whole story of how is this All Blacks team going to end up when we ultimately get to the World Cup? How are they going to go? Because there's only so much testing you can do. There's only so much kind of experimenting you can handle before you have to settle on a 15. You have to settle on a squad that is going to take you into a World Cup. And I'll tell you what, next week against England, it also depends what kind of England team turns up, but that is going to be one hell of a test match um, because th- this this All Black side, when they're under pressure, they've, they've, got, they've still got to prove they can do it, I think. And they've done it a couple of times, but they've got to consistently show that they can get themselves out of out of a hole against strong opposition. And I can't wait. Next week is going to be absolute fireworks. I think Eddie Jones, you can you can guarantee he's going to be up for it. This England side is going to be up for it because they've got some question marks around them themselves. And so as, as a rugby fan, you just got to sit back and enjoy it. But let's let's not get it wrong. This, this was a good All Blacks team out there. And they had a lot of questions thrown at them. And, and to be fair, in the end, they answered them. But... Yeah, a lot, a lot doing for Ian Foster.
Mm, yeah, a lot doing indeed. Uh, we also had a Cricket World Cup final uh, last night as well. England got up over Pakistan. Uh, meant that they had also knocked uh, they knocked India out of the uh, in the semi final. Beat Pakistan in the final. They uh, asserted their dominance in the white ball form of the game. Aiden, it was a. Uh, they, I mean, they did it easy against both teams, really. Considering these, uh, you know, it was a semi final and a final. They made it look easy. Yeah, they really hit their straps at the right time, didn't they? I mean, I've always thought that. T20 international cricket is probably the most fickle you can you can have, um, really. But if one team gets gets the form at the right time as England have done, um, then hey, all credit to them. And I think last night, you know, when they restricted Pakistan to 137, uh, it would have uh, it would have been very surprising if they didn't actually get up and get over. But you know, they had their, their moments in that chase, um, and it was interesting actually that yet again it was Ben Stokes, wasn't it? You know the, the the man for the big occasion. Uh, but surprisingly, that was his first ever T20 International 50. Wow. Uh, what a time to do it. Yeah, so 50, 52 or 49, six balls to go is pretty is relatively comfortable in, in that format. But uh, but yeah, I think I think they won it by that, that bowling performance. Mm, yeah, the bowling performance was uh, was good. And uh, James, the, the, the English are, are World Cup champions again. At least they didn't ha- have to do it on boundary count back this time. They actually won it properly. <laughs> well, the rules are the rules, I guess. Everyone plays the same. Um, but yeah, look, it, it looked pretty, it looked pretty convincing, wasn't it? I mean, Ben Stokes is such a such a competitor, such an athlete, such a, a hero for this England side, and he and he managed to do it again. And you have to, you have to say, Pakistan will be pretty disappointed as well. They had so many fans turn out at the MCG. It looked like. Look like a home game for them a lot of the time. Um, but this England team, yeah, they, they just managed to do it. So fair play, but I, I agree. T20 is, is pretty fickle and, and you never know which way it's going to go, really. No, you don't. All right, gentlemen, uh, before we let you go and wind the panel up, your highlight of the weekend, what was... We talked about there's been so much sport of the weekend. What was the what was your highlight, James? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty tough. It's been... It's been a weekend for the ages, hasn't it? I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go somewhere. I think from where they came back from, and 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 where they were at the start of the tournament to now to not only win, but to win with a field goal like that in London in front of forty thousand. I think just to touch over forty thousand was amazing, sparking scenes of of pure joy. Like and I think Matt Parrish said it best when he said a little a little dot in the Pacific Island in the Pacific Ocean has just turned the rugby league world on its head pretty much. So, and the, yeah, obviously, shout out to the Black Ferns, but for me, that that was pretty special. Uh, and for you, Aiden, I think the line out still at, at the death there in the World Cup final because I'll be honest, I thought England were going to score another try there. They've been dominant um, from that from that sort of space uh, throughout the tournament, really. And you just thought, here we go again. They're going to score another try from a line-out. The line-out steal, and then the celebrations afterwards. What a moment. Yeah, huge moment. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time on the panel today. Really appreciate it. Go well. Enjoy the rest of your time in the UK, James. Thank you, mate. Cheers, boys. Appreciate it. Cheers. Go well. It is a quarter to 11 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Between now and 11, we'll catch up with Paulie Mawadi from the TAB. It's 10 away from 10 here. You can bet live on your favourite sports just by downloading the TAB app today. And to talk to us about uh, what is big with the TAB this week is Paul Mawadi. G'day, Paulie. How are you, mate? 
Yeah, I'm very good. Thanks, Ricardo. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Got to just uh, finish watching the uh, the Minnesota Vikings get up over the Buffalo Bills in uh, an OT, mate. 33-30, improved to eight and one. They they have a chance at the Super Bowl this year. Do you think with Kirk Cousins? Maybe they're the real deal. I I I, I, I didn't rate them at seven and one, but they've just knocked over the Bills in overtime in Buffalo. Um, so. <laughs> You've got to give them a wee bit of respect. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm going to reevaluate my thoughts on the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Maybe these guys are the real deal. Um, and what they they go to eight and one. Uh, the what the Bills now go to six and three. So yeah, yeah, you, you've got to factor them in now, I guess, with Kirk Cousins and um, their running back Cook, who was uh, very, very good today. Yeah, it will be, mate. Um, they they're going to be in the mix. I think it looks very much that way. They're certainly uh, over and above. And we see uh, their near neighbours, Green Bay, have just kicked off against um, uh, Dallas as well. That one all tied up at zip zip. But uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, not having a great season. Uh, Paulie, uh, we, we, we got you got some fans though because people knew you were coming in, uh, coming on. We got a text through saying, "Can you ask Paulie if they're doing cash back on any races?" Uh, that was from someone called Paul. I, I I take it you're not texting yourself. <laughs> no, I only do that on Twitter. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, uh, yeah, I guess they're talking about the um, the big meeting uh, down in Rickerton today. Um, there will be no bonus back uh, promotion on any of the races down in Rickerton today. So, but I can tell you. Uh, in the Group One Barnswood Farm, uh, one thousand guineas. Uh, we've seen um, quite a bit of action on the very, very hot favourite there, Legato. Today we've had an, uh, where is it, an eight thousand dollar bet at a dollar forty, and a three thousand dollar bet at a dollar forty. So um, even though we've had to wait a couple of days for this uh, race to get underway, um, this the support for the hot favourite, Legato, is still there. An $8,000 bet and a $3,000 bet, both at $1.40. The biggest bet on any other runner in that race is a $500 bet on bestseller at $6. So, yeah, they're all over the favourite there, and there are plenty of multis uh, that include Legato to win the 1,000 guineas today. And the New Zealand Cup, I'm just having a look down the page here. Uh... The biggest bet so far, a $1,000 bet on Starry Bill, the favourite, at $4. There's also been an $800 bet on Quota at $41. $800 on Quota at $41. Wow. Okay. Uh, Paul, have you, has the TAB recovered from uh, the boys get paid the other week, or, or, or is it still um, the Greg's instant coffee jar in the, uh, in the lunchroom and no more $5 coffees from the cafe? Yeah, you're on the money, Ricardo. And there's a few empty seats here uh, at uh, headquarters today as well. Uh, we've just cut out figurines of where the bookies used to sit. Um, they've, they've, they're licking their wounds at the moment, Ricardo. The, the, the boys get paid. They were way too good over that cup week. Um, and congratulations to them. And all those who uh, jumped in uh, on their punters club, they're... Uh, little syndicate that they had going. Coming up to uh, 11 o'clock here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith and uh, there is still a live NFL going on, nil all between the Cowboys and the Packers uh, beginning of the second quarter there. 
Uh, and you can get on the Cowboys there at $1.35. The Packers paying $2.90. Also, the Rams $1.87 to beat the Cards at $2.10 later today. And currently live at the moment, the Colts lead the Raiders 7-zip. You can get on the Raiders at 3 bucks if you think they're going to come back. The Colts are paying $1.33. Watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly, R18. Coming up shortly, your chance to win a $50 TAB bonus bet with Stumped and Greg Alexander joins us to talk Rugby League out of Australia. England slowing it down. Have a look for Milford. Milford again is in position, but they're also going to go back to Crichton. Crichton's got time to try and win it for Samoa. And Stephen Crichton is a history maker. History will tell you that history has been made. England 26, Samoa 27. Yeah, it was a great great game of football and it really set the tournament alight. It was Samoa getting up over England in that semi-final, turning it around from losing 60-6 to in the opening game to knocking the hosts out in the semi-final. And Greg Alexander joins me to talk that. Mate, a moment of the tournament for me. How about you? Uh, yeah, it was a great game, Ricardo. Uh, I got up early, uh, kicked off at 1.30 in the morning for, uh, in Australian time. A- actually, I stayed up, so I just I, I pushed all the way through, and uh, it was a, an incredible game. Uh, great moment for, you know, and I'm, of course, a little bit biased. There's a you know, number of Penrith players in that Samoan team, and it was great to see Stephen, you know, grab an intercept, kick the winning field goal, um, and, yeah, his, an historic moment in terms of the World Cup with... Samoa making their first final. Mate, I've got to ask you, I mean, I know you're, you, you, you're Penrith allegiances, but what's Stephen Crichton worth now on the open market? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I think everyone hasn't taken this World Cup for Stephen's stocks to rise, but they, they might have. Um, he's, he's, had a, he's had a good tournament and uh, came up with a couple of big plays, like he has you know, over the last three years, and he's done quite well, hasn't he, for a young, young man, 22 Three grand finals. Yeah, he's into a World Cup grand final. Um, he's played Origin, so yeah, he's um, he's uh, it, it, you know it, it's a job for Penrith to keep all the players because all, all of the players now. You, you look at the lineup. There's there's twelve of them out of the the top thirteen over there in the World Cup. I think the only one of the thirteen that's not is Dylan Edwards, but most of the players are in the top handful in their position right throughout the NRL. So it's uh, it's one of the difficult jobs to try and keep a side together, but you know Penrith are doing their best to to you know accommodate everyone. Uh, but Stephen Stocks, yeah, certainly have risen, uh, kicking the field goal, coming up with a big play, the intercept pass again, you know, like he did in the grand final against South Sydney in 2021, was just a massive play. Absolutely huge. Where where do you think his best position is as he as he as he gets older? I mean, it feels like, you know, you know, he could play centre. He could be a great fullback. He could be a six. I mean, there's even a touch of a a young John Sutton about him. We might see him at thirty yard playing lock. I don't know. What do you reckon? Yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, fullback. He's he's had a few games at Penrith for fullback um, at fullback and and done very well. So he's he's athletic. He's he can read the game well. You know, he's a very intelligent rugby league player and. Uh, fullback might be his spot, uh, but he makes he's doing pretty well in the centres at the moment. I, I don't know whether you know, depending on you know he's only twenty two, so mm. 
he'll keep his athleticism for a while. So it'll be out in the it'll be the outside backs for for a fair while, I would say. Yeah, yeah, no, that, and it looks, looking really good. And of course, we we got that big the big matchup this weekend, mate, against uh, the can, uh, against the Kangaroos. You, you, how, how you how you feeling going into this one? It's, it must must be a bit strange, especially with all those Panthers wearing blue jerseys. Oh no, I'm an Aussie. I'm an Aussie, Ricardo. So um, you know, allegiances. I, I actually I liked. Uh, Jerome Luai's quote talking talking about you know coming up against Isaiah Yo and Nathan Cleary. He said, "Well, you know the way I see it, there's brothers and there's enemies, and uh, you know he's with the brothers, and you know when they face off, it'll be enemies. Nathan Cleary and uh, Isaiah Yo. Um, so uh, yeah, look, I, I I've got a feeling, and Australia haven't played good footy, and and I think the Kiwis fall into that category as well. There was nothing in that semi final, but both Australia and New Zealand, I think, in terms of putting together an 80-minute performance, you know, even against the, the sides that they won well against. You know, go back to the Joey Manu's first game uh, where he was just that good. He stole the show right at the start of the tournament. But um, Australia and New Zealand really haven't looked, haven't just put it together. So I'm thinking Australia do put it together. I think, I think it'll all fall into place against Samoa in the final. And I yeah, I think I think I think Australia might put a score on them. I, I think it, it it it'll be twenty plus. Yeah, I mean, it feels like leading that way that somehow might might have played their final in a way. You know, uh, getting over the English the way they did, especially bouncing back from that big loss. That's right. Yeah, they overturned sixty sixty to six loss. You know, to to start the tournament, which everyone was shocked, and and you know, they did cop a fair bit of criticism, and and deservedly so. You know, I, I know. Matt Parrish has had a bit to say about that, but you know when you get beaten sixty to six and you are the favourites for the game, um, criticism has to be worn. So a great fight back, but a great bounce back up against the same team, and you know England playing in front of their home crowd there in London in Arsenal, and uh, you know had to level up a couple of times in that second half. I thought George Williams, the halfback for England, was outstanding, and he's you know he's. He's definitely an NRL player. I know he was at Canberra, but it'd be great to see George Williams come back and play in the NRL. I think he's, he, you know, he could be a star if he stays here. If he can, um, I thought some of the the unheralded heroes for for Samoa were players that don't play in the NRL. Tim Laffey and mm. Lingy Sow. I thought they were both outstanding uh, on the edges. Uh, so some great individual performances. Uh, from Samoa and England. England were, were, were courageous. Uh, you know, can't believe how the game finished for them. Sam Tompkins, the captain, throwing a forward pass out of dummy half while his team were trying to get it out of their own end in golden point and gave possession to the Samoans and they were good enough through Stephen Crichton to, to kick the goal. But an, a huge error from Sam Tompkins. Yeah, massive error from him. I'll tell you, actually, the other bloke that maybe isn't getting the praise that he deserves for his performance, and that's, uh, and you know, he gets talked about a bit, but it's Jer- Jerome Luai. I think that's probably one of his best games, particularly, I think it's probably his best game without having Nathan Cleary next to him. You know what? He's had a great tournament. He, he really has. And I think he's picked up three Man of the Match awards for Samoa. And, yeah, let's, if we can just forgive them for their first uh, hit out where they were smashed by England, uh, Luai might be close to the player of the tournament. Um, he, I, I think he's done a great job, and um, you know I, I know there's been a bit of chat about you know Jerome's form. You know Nathan Cleary makes Jerome, but don't, I don't think that's right. You know I think Jerome's 
he's a standalone player. He's good enough, and he's he's shown that in the World Cup and gets his chance, you know, against the best in the world um, come this weekend. But he's yeah, he's been very good, Ricardo. Yeah, mate, he's been he's been excellent, you know. And I think he plays a different game when he's got Nathan with him because Nathan is you know has his strengths, so he lets Nathan do those things, and he concentrates on other things. But he's kind of been let off the leash a little bit in the blue jersey. Yeah, I think he's uh, like he's. You know, and that's why Penrith had Sean O'Sullivan there because, you know, if Nathan wasn't there, they didn't want Jerome having to, you know, sort of have the responsibility of running the team. But I think he's, his work with Milford, he has taken on a more dominant role and he looks more comfortable controlling the game for the, uh, for the Samoans. And, you know, he's looked good doing that right throughout the tournament. But, he's, you know, his footwork was brilliant on the weekend for him to set up the try... Uh, that involved a, a you know a miracle pass from Junior Paulo and then Jerome again to tip tip it out to Stephen Crite and that was a great try and you know Jerome's footwork was uh, on show again where he beat one of the the England defenders who came rushing out of the line and delivered the pass to Tim Laffey so uh, yeah he's his own man Jerome and he's got his own skills and he's completely different to Nathan um, but I think the responsibilities taken on this World Cup makes him a better player because he's assumed the you know the the run of the game for Samoa, not just left it to Anthony Milford, who himself is a reluctant game manager. So, uh, yeah, big big tournament for for Samoa. Yeah, big tournament. Yeah, big tournament for Samoa. Big tournament for rugby league. After we've had so little international rugby league, I mean, I think what this game at the start of this tournament was the first one for the Kangaroos since 2019. I mean, Mel Mel Meninga must be, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people saying oh, he's stealing a living, getting 400k, you know, a year to do nothing. But I mean, he must be he must be frustrated, and and surely now that we've got this, we've got all these competitive teams, Samoa, Tonga, obviously England, uh, the Kiwis and Kangaroos are there or thereabouts with each other. Um, you know, surely. This is going to lead to more international fixtures. Uh, they just uh, they just need to work out the calendar, I suppose. I mean, how I do you think see so, it, Ricardo? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and and because because international league and international league over the last two two decades, I would say, has become the you know the the poorer cousin of Origin. Origin seems to have dominated everything, uh, and I think this World Cup has shown that um, there's a market for international football. There is there's you know when you talk about the competitive the competitiveness of, of both Samoa and Tonga, you know, if those players stick with their allegiances and somehow we need to take advantage of it, you know, New Zealand, uh, Samoa, Tonga playing a tri-series through, throughout the season, but it, but it is, it's trying to squeeze it into a 27-round comp, uh, which includes origin, and find time to have international football. But I, I think we really need to take advantage of what's happened in this World Cup and international football should be back on the agenda and uh, we should be making room for it, whether that's a shorter NRL season. Um, I, I, I don't know how they do it, but we can't miss this opportunity to make the most of what Samoa Tonga have provided us. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that, that's two teams that can be competitive with the Kiwis and the Aussies and England. Do you think it's time to scrap the tier system then? Uh, yeah, I, we've had a couple of, uh, you know, we spoke about that this morning. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you can scrap it completely, the, the tier system or, um, yeah, I don't, I, Ricardo, it's a, it's a complicated thing. And I don't know what it would mean for the game if we just said, you know what, there's no tier, si- tier mm-hmm. system. Um, 
um, you know, and then how that affects state of origin. But I think because we've been so focused on state of origin over the over the last decade or two, um, I think we need to clear our heads and just look at what's best for the game instead of looking what's how it affects other things. But there's a whole whole lot of debate that needs to happen about international football and how we get more of it um, and not to the detriment of, of other things, but, you know, do we remove the importance of other things too to create some space for um, international footy because it's it's a winner. It's, yeah. You know, people people love it. It's a winner and you you can't miss the opportunity that uh, some of these nations have provided us with. Yeah, yeah, exactly, 100%. And, you know, and if the money goes along with that, then maybe that changes things. Uh, Correct. Because you know, obviously, that's the bottom uh, the bottom line. Uh, actually, on that, the Rugby League Players Association um, have obviously been uh, expressed their frustrations about the collective bargaining agreement and the the salary cap uh, situation not being confirmed uh, as yet. It, it's certainly clouding a few issues. In fact, I, I thought this was this issue was sorted now once the draw was out, but uh, mm. apparently not. Where, where's this all sitting at the moment? What do you make of it? Uh, yeah, look, it's I, I think it's frustrating. Look. It, and it's been happening for a long, a long time. The, the, the discussions have been going ongoing um, since the start of the year, and they, I would have thought, and they thought that they were close to an agreement, but uh, that fell over at the at the last minute. So talks do continue. Need to get to to an answer pretty sh- soon. The clubs need to know how much money they can spend, um, and there's a whole raft of things apart from the salary cap and the grant that's given to the clubs. You know, we spoke to Clint Newton, the head of the Rugby League Players Association last week, and he said it's a 26-page document. And really, other things, you can't just agree to that, the grant and the cap, without agreeing to the other things that the players are, are talking about to the league. So, you know, from from what we're hearing, there's still a long way to go, Ricardo, which, which isn't good. They need to meet, they need to find middle ground and agree on a lot of things, you know, and um, you know, the clubs, players, everyone. The game needs to know where it's headed um, pretty quickly, but uh, there seems to be a fair bit of work to be done. So, yeah, not holding my breath before that you know, the agreement comes out. No, no. You yeah, think, think, think of the kids. Poor old Matt Lodge having to get by on just a thousand dollars a week in the off season. Uh, oh, I think he, I think he'll get there. I, I think he'll survive. You think he'll be all right? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I did see uh, Andrew McCulloch uh, announced his retirement uh, at the Dragons, and yep. I thought maybe somebody at the St George got the memo wrong. They said get rid of Hook, not the hooker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I, I don't know. There's no doubt that Anthony Griffin's under pressure. Um, Andrew McCulloch's been a great player. Fantastic. Uh, player for Brisbane over a long time, played more than 300 games, and I guess he thought that that was that was it. It's time to time to hang them up and might give the Dragons a little bit bit of space to uh, to make a signing or two. Um, but yes, there's there's you know a few teams that their coaches are under pressure. They you know there's probably three or four that need very good starts. You know, if some of the clubs, Newcastle, Gold Coast, Dragons, if they find themselves you know two and six or uh, you know, we could have could be looking for a new coach. Um, you know, that early in the season, few teams under the pump to to start the year well. Yeah, yeah, there's a few of those, man. Uh, yeah, St George, one of them. In fact, yeah, the, getting the uh, the buy first up might not be the worst thing for them. So they can get a little bit of a lay of the land. Uh, what did you make of that draw for the first round that came out last week? Uh, yeah, I, I you know, we'll we'll sort of 
I really don't take much notice of the draw, Ricardo. I don't place any great importance on it. Um, whether the whether the buy is a good thing early or not, I'm not sure. You probably don't want to get started then have the buy the following week. So it mm. mightn't be a bad thing to have the buy straight up. Uh, just extend your break, you know, as you're getting ready for the season, buy another week. Um, you know, the draw is such a tough thing to do. To, to try and come up with... Uh, a fair draw, which highlights all the marquee games that you want. You want the you know, the best clubs playing each other twice. Then is that fair? You know, they you know, some clubs you know have to play the top eight sides more times than other clubs. But but it's always it's been the same since we've you know we've had now we've got an odd team. But it's, un, unless they're playing each other on home and away basis, that's the only fair draw. But they can't do that because there's too many teams. So trying to work out a fair draw is almost impossible. Um, you just got to cop what you take and get on with it. Um, some teams have a softer draw than others. I know the Raiders, you know, in terms of ranking uh, teams, how their draw was, the Raiders looked like they, they were playing the the top eight teams less than other clubs. And Manly looked like they got the short end of the stick and uh, were rated with as the team that had the worst draw. So... Uh, we'll see what happens. Just on, on the Kiwis, and uh, why is it that uh, Mount Smart Stadium isn't being used in round one? Was Is, is there a concert or something yeah. already organised? Harry Styles, apparently, has is, is, is booked out Mount Smart. Oh, well, well it's Harry. It's Harry, oh, mate. We, you know, we, to be honest, I'd rather see Harry Grant running around there than listening <laughs> to Harry Styles, to be fair. But, that's you know. right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So that's the reason, mate. Yeah. The uh, the Harry Styles concert. You know, there's there's no accounting for some people's taste, but apparently they needed a venue <laughs> that big. Uh, but there you go. So certainly, certainly won't be seeing me there, Brandy. I doubt there's any Harry Styles in your CD collection. Uh, no, no. But I did go and see Bruno Mars the other week, and there's no Bruno in my collection either. So I, but I got to look at the new Allianz Stadium. So that was that was something. You just went for the stadium tour and got an accidental concert. Did got some background music along the way. Yeah, that's yeah. about it. Well, so yeah, that's going to say elevator music. That's good. That's good, Brandy. Hey, listen, thanks very much for your time, mate. I know you've had a long morning. We'll let you go, but uh, great to chat again, mate. And we'll catch up with you again soon, eh? Good on you, Ricardo. Good to talk, mate. Cheers. Always good to talk to uh, an absolute legend of the sport, Greek Alexander, part of the SCN team as well, NRL commentator, former warrior, of course, and all the rest of it. It is uh, 11.21 here on SCNZ. It's 11.26 here on SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, yesterday I was hosting uh, on uh, in the morning a show called Bleeding Black. We, we celebrated the Black Ferns World Cup win and talked about uh, the All Blacks' upcoming game as it was then with the Scots. And Steve Devine, former All Black halfback, was uh, on with me then. This is what he had to say about the final and the, the way England played. Listen, the, the, the you know the the English team are very good at what they do, which and you know I I, I despise watching it because it was just so boring and you know but they didn't have a plan B. They 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 all tournament even against teams they should have put a hundred points on. You know they did their rolling more and they did their lineouts and scrum penalties. You know it was just they never practiced anything other than what they were good at and. Then you come to a team that's you know prepared not to give them what they want and, and throw it around and make them run and all of a sudden the the big girls up front and the big girls out in the back line um, started to struggle a little bit so you know good on Wayne Smith he came up with a game plan you know a game plan that could beat England because it was always going to be um, we're going to 
you know, a team's going to play England in the final, and and you know they did it. I, 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 you know, the best thing about it is it was good versus evil. It was <laughs> it was good rugby. It was good rugby. Uh, a team willing to throw it around and entertain versus uh, the bad, which is rolling wars and scrum penalties. And um, yep, so I say take it on the chin, England. Pack your bags and go home because um, go back up the northern hemisphere and play that crap because uh, that's not what we lo- that's not what we do down here. Uh, yeah, Steve Devine doesn't pull punches. Uh, says what, very much what he thinks. Uh, calls it how he sees it. Uh, Taylor Johnson, who's of course uh, represented Samoa, who's played uh, Super Rugby as well and part of the Sky Sport commentary team, also joined us, and uh, we put that to her. I mean, on the driving more. I know Taylor, you said you're a Ford, so you're not gonna not gonna bag it too much. But we were talking about it here, and there were times I thought in that final where, I, and I thought the Scottish referee did a reasonably good job. But there were times when it looked like that driving more stopped, and she didn't call that one. She kind of let it rest for a bit, and and it almost gives it, it it almost makes it unstoppable the way that that was officiated. I, yeah. I mean, do you I, think they need to look at? at the way that the driving wall, we were talking about it before and saying maybe when it stops once, that's when you use it, you don't get to go again. Yeah, I agree. Uh, look, I, I think um, it does create boring rugby, if you're being honest. Um, if you're getting to use it time and time again, I think that's a great idea to use it um, once it stops the first time. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... It, it's it's hard because you know as soon as you collapse it you give away a penalty and there's so many times where own teams are bringing it down um you know if someone trips over a boot but then the other team gets penalized because you know you why would you bring your own more down type thing and it's quite hard to officiate when there's so many bodies so many bodies in there but yeah I, i agree it is um it's not exactly the most attractive thing but i think why people revert to it is because it's as you said because it's almost like safeguarded um because you get two goes at it there you go. So a couple of takes on the rolling mall. What are you, what are your thoughts on the rolling mall and uh, the current laws around it? Do you think it needs looking at? Um, because the old, uh, what do you call it, turtle or the white anaconda, as it was being called, uh, isn't exactly free-flowing rugby or a great spectacle, but uh, it is effective. Uh, your thoughts, Double eight, double three. let us know on the temper bedpost text machine. Just about time for Stumped. If you want to win a $50 TAB bonus bet, now's your opportunity. Give us a call, 0800 150811, 0800-150-811 to play Stumped. We'll have uh, three categories for you and three questions to survive, and a $50 TAB bonus bet could be all yours. We'll do that after the latest in news and sport with Araha. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, a GOAT, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. Actually, let's just take that term for a second and let me give you a little history lesson. There was a a rapper called LL Cool J and he released released an album called Greatest of All Time, uh, G-O-A-T. And since that moment, people have used that to do that. So shout out to hip hop. Um, But yes, it is that time of the day. It is Stumped where you get your chance to win a $50 TAB bonus bet. Uh, Three people uh, are waiting at the pavilion. We're about to call them out. We've got three questions. And Rick Rick Dog, how are you feeling about today's version of this game? Mate, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good after a weekend of watching sport. Uh, You had an early start today. Got up at three to watch the uh, ABs to make sure I was across everything before today's show. So I think I've absorbed just about everything I could have across the weekend. So hopefully I'm prepared. Mate, well, unfortunately, we don't have the seventh league in uh, Germany as one of our uh, <laughs> what's wrong one of what's our categories. But uh, what we do have is uh, John from Christchurch waiting on the line. How are you, John? 
G'day, team. How are you doing today? Good, mate. Good. And yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, Ricardo. Pretty well, good, mate. Hard to complain on a day like today. It's all good, mate. Indeed. Good. What was the standout from the weekend for you? Got to be the girls, pal. Got to yep. be the girls. Um, outstanding. Just, oh, it's just good to see Kim. Kiwi's just competing well on the stage. Me and Ryan Fox again, getting second again, mate. That's that's another great story. And we haven't even talked about him today, really, on the radio. You know, it's just uh, awesome. But the girls, mate, it's just fantastic. Yeah, exactly. They're just superb, absolutely superb. I think they've done it. They've done themselves in the nation proud. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And mate, mate, look, listen, John. I hope you win just off the back of your highlight because that was one of my highlights too. I thought it was unbelievable. But have you played the game before, John? Have, yep, have. Just like the rest of uh, most of our listeners, you all know how it goes down. So we'll get we won't waste time with formalities here. So we'll get straight into it. John, your three categories are World Series, T Twenty World Cup, or All Blacks versus England. All Blacks versus England. Oh. Let's go T Twenty, eh? Oh, here we go. Let's get this music going. Well, you're probably lucky the Doyen isn't sitting there, mate, but um, you may be underestimating our mate there, Rick Dog. So first question for you. Let me just get this music down a bit. T20 World Cup. Right. England are now two-time T20 World Champs. Name the only other team to have won it twice. Oh, I have to go India. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, it's through to the keeper. I'm going to say Sri Lanka. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. And the keeper drops it. No, gentlemen. um, The answer to that is the West Indies. Ah. But but when you hear that, you go, oh, of course it is, right? <laughs> you know, you got yeah, the, they you, won the food, yeah, yeah, and then you've got the universe boss and all those huge, huge hitters, Chanda Paul back in the day. Uh, but no, you're still alive. Um, second question: New Zealand lost to Australia in the final of the last T20 World Cup a year ago. Who was our top run scorer that game? That game. Um, oh, um. I'll go Kane Williamson. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Back nice. over the bowler's head for six. Nicely played, John, nicely played. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, and one last question for the TAB bonus bet today. Since the tournament began in 2007, the team hosting has never won. However, in 2012, the hosts made it to the final and lost. What team was that? <laughs> um, I'll go twenty twelve. No, not us. Um, I will go South Africa. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. And it's through to the keeper. And it's through to the keeper who doesn't know. So I'm going to guess. I'm going to say India. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. And he drops the ball, uh, Ricardo Ball. The answer, gentlemen, was Sri Lanka. Ah, hey? there you go. I was, I, was, I was right at the first question. Can we swap yeah, my answers about. around? <laughs> hey, hey, you know, maybe, no, 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 not, not today. Hey, well done, John.
Thanks, fellas. Good yeah, well, well done to you, mate. Well done to you. Um, yeah, you didn't underestimate me. You estimated me perfectly by picking T20. <laughs> uh, have you got your eye on anything this week for your $50 multi? No, we'll just wait and see what happens later on in the week. We had uh, went to the races on Saturday here in Christchurch, but it got um, cancelled out. But we had a wee syndicate there. We've already put our bets on for today, so a bit of, bit of following for a bit of fun today, and then we'll just wait and see what happens later on in the week and see if anything pops up. Nice, mate. Nice. Well, good luck with it. And uh, we'll get that Thanks, uh, TAB $50 bonus bet through to you, mate. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you can spin it wisely and fill the fridge, eh? Good, sorry, mate. Thanks very much. Cheers. Go oh, well. There we go. That is uh, John uh, from Christchurch. We'll have another $50 with Stumped tomorrow at around the same time. And your opportunity to ask some questions and see if I can stump you. Otherwise, you'll wrap it all up yourself and grab yourself a $50 TAB bonus bet. Had this text come through. Uh, no name on it, but saying it was an amazing lack of thinking. Why did England uh, opt going for the line-out at the end, giving the Ferns one last chance to pinch the ball, which they did, when if they'd tapped it to themselves and given it to the Fords to drive, would have been a safer option and a likely try, and a chance to go either way as a penalty was in the middle of the park. You reckon, you reckon England looking for a new coach? I think that'd be harsh on a bloke who's won 29 of 30, um, just lost the one that mattered, I guess, a little bit, but I think that'd well, be harsh on him. Maybe a new assistant there, because that is brilliant. I agree. Yeah, yeah. well, maybe, yeah. Why yeah, not? Put maybe, your CV forward. What do you think? History, perhaps? They, they, they were used to just dominating at that certain move, and mm. they maybe a bit of arrogance? Yeah, maybe. 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 Oh, I mean, it is that thing. If you're used to kicking to the line, take the uh, line out to set up the drive. But, I mean, you can set up the drive by taking the tap penalty as well. Yeah, exactly. But is, is, is that a problem of not being able to think on your feet? You know? Yeah, maybe. Captain maybe. Issue, I mean, leadership issue. It's a long tournament and you're in the 80th minute and the Black Ferns have just run you off your feet for you know for a lot of that. Yeah, you're mentally mentally gone. Yeah, yeah mentally right. drained. So, yeah. I mean, but it's not to say we didn't see it the other way around either. You remember with three or four minutes left on the clock in the semifinal, we were up by a point, we get a penalty... Most people would say, let's kick to the line, kill some time on the clock, take our time getting to the line out, let's wind it down, play that. Kendrick Oxidge tapped and went. You know? And then we did it again in the final. You know, So uh, I know Wayne Smith said afterwards, after the Kendrick Oxidge one in the semi, he said, look, you know, we've been all about keeping the ball in hand and running the ball. And um, he said, that's great, but I think, Kendra might have taken it too far yeah. when, when she tapped and win that time. I saw that in that press conference. Um, did you catch the press conference post the the win, the World Cup win? No, I didn't. Mate, like, I'm going to just admit it, Wayne, like, listening to Wayne and, and Ruahe, yeah. I had tears in my eyes, mate. Like, I, I felt so proud of them. And when Wayne Smith said this is probably the biggest m- moment of rugby in his life, uh, mm-hmm. along those, I'm paraphrasing, but when... The crowd of 40,000 were chanting these athletes' names. He was like, okay, maybe a turner has a corner has been turned, you know? Yeah, totally. Because uh, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have had that a year ago. No. And Ruahe said herself, she was worried when they announced it was coming here because our crowds, our crowds don't back women's rugby. Mm. You know, she thought, well, let's, let's go to England. I've played there. They back them. They really get in there. And then to see what the Kiwis are provided as uh, for these women this World Cup blew me away, blew the team away. 
yeah, mate, it's been huge. It's it has been a game changer to use a term that gets thrown around a lot, but it has this tournament's been a game changer for sp- women's sport in general. I think in this country, yeah. And what's coming next? What's going to even raise that bar even higher? Yeah, the FIFA World Cup, the Women's World Cup, the, the eyeballs on that is going to be huge, and the amount of people that'll be yeah. coming here for it. Yeah. Yeah. We we host four groups. Australia host four groups. It's going to be absolutely huge. And we, we have the biggest team in the world, right? Yeah, the USA, number right. one. Now, do you remember, I, I, I might be putting you on the spot here, but do you remember the figures of viewership between uh, that Rugby World Cup and their showpiece? Uh, yeah, I think the rug, the last Rugby World Cup men's final uh, attracted something like 800 million watches, or that might be the whole tournament. Nothing to be sneezed at. That's no, a lot. That's a lot. But the Women's Football World Cup last time around uh, was 1.2 billion. So it's another four hundred million on top. Yeah, who's your daddy? Yeah, I reckon. Oh, well, who's your mummy? Yeah, who's well, your mummy? yeah, yeah. <laughs> nicely Apologies. said. Yeah, but yeah, some big numbers, some big numbers, and yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how New Zealand coast with that because I don't think people quite understand just how big that tournament's going to be. Well, my biggest takeaway to date so far when people are talking about it is New Zealand has no idea what's about to happen. Yeah. And that I think there is a certain amount of that, so I'm looking forward to it, man. Really looking forward to it. And actually, on that uh, tomorrow at five thirty, the football ferns play South Korea in Christchurch to the second game of that series, as well. So we might do a little bit on that tomorrow, eh? Oh yeah, get up the football ferns. Get up the football ferns, indeed. It is uh, eighteen away from midday here on mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. 14 away from midday here on SENZ. A few texts through on double eight double three, the Temper Bedpost text machine. I think that the beauty of the women's final was the juxtaposition of styles. Yes, as New Zealanders, naturally, we don't like the 10-man style they have, but it was great to watch them do it with such precision. Not pretty, but 30 games in a row is proof of its effectiveness. At the same time, full kudos to the Black Ferns as their rugby is exhilarating and courageous. That's from Nick and Wellington. Thanks for your text, Nick. It's a good one. Uh, we also had this one come through from Graham. Hi, Ricardo. I listened to Steve Devine on Sunday and was too annoyed to call... Uh, did he not see the Black Fern score two tries using the rolling mall? No complaints from Steve about that. And let's not forget the ABs used uh, to be feared for what their forwards could do with the mall. He needs to put everything in perspective. If that's your strength, use it. I thought England were outstanding in that regard. Also well done to Razor Robertson. Another win over Leon with a team he had only had for a week where they spent most of it on the Terps. That is uh, a great... Uh, a, a great insight, Graham. I appreciate your text, mate. Well done uh, on that. And yeah, great result. That uh, obviously hasn't been talked about enough, but due to scheduling, and um, once again, I know there's been a few people throwing um, brick bats at New Zealand rugby, but I don't think it was anything to do with them. Uh, they're the tourists, so it gets uh, dictated to them as to when these games are played. And uh, it was a bit of a pity that we had the All Blacks 11 play the, uh, sorry, All Blacks 15 play the Barbars at the same time, pretty much, as the All Blacks were playing Scotland. Uh, that was annoying. So you couldn't, you know, it would have been nice to have had them back-to-back, but they uh, they overlapped, and that was annoying. But well done to Scott Robertson and his team. They got up over uh, Leon McDonald's All Blacks 15 by 35-31. to 31. Actually, Damian McKenzie missed missed a few kicks. Maybe Stephen, we just heard that, uh, that promo about Stephen Donald maybe should have been the Black Ferns kicking. Well, maybe he needs to go back to coaching uh, Damian McKenzie uh, on how to kick goals. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Maybe we'll, we'll ask... Uh, Beef that a little later on. Uh, keep your texts rolling through. Double eight, double three is the temper bed post text machine. Updating you on the uh, NFL scores that are going on. There's three live games currently. 
Uh, the Colts are up 13-7 over the Raiders, uh, just over half time in that one. Uh, the Packers have come back from seven down against the Cowboys to lead 14-7. And last year's Super Bowl champions, the LA Rams, are really doing it tough this year. They currently lead nearly half time uh, in Arizona, well, sorry, in LA against the Cardinals. They're at home against the Cardinals. They're down 17-3. to um, So properly getting towed up by Arizona. It is 10 away from midday here on SENZ. It's 11.55. Uh, staff joins us in the studio now. Uh, getting ready for midday madness, mate? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've had one before like this, and uh, we rename it Midday Gladness, of course. And mm. no surprise, I'm, I'm all about the... The Black Ferns win on the weekend, just amazing. Just, uh, I'm still actually, every time I just say that word, or those two words, Black Ferns, I just get goosebumps. I just just feel so privileged to have witnessed something. like I wasn't even at the ground, and it was, uh, yeah, it was emotional, it was triumphant, it was sport, it was, it was just, it was so good. It was so good. Uh, and I think to an extent, unexpected as well. Like, I went into it going, I'm going to watch this game, and I hope we win, but I don't expect us to win. I thought all week England would win until game day and that horrific rain and thunderstorms obviously wasn't going to come. And the person I was watching with, I just said, I've been picking England all week, but now it's going to be a game on top of the ground. We're right in this. And still a coin flip, which it ended up being. Mm. But I just can't believe after that semi-final, it delivered again, the final. Well, that's the thing. And I I wonder how much of an effect the crowd had. Right, because mm. they had twenty odd thousand for the semi, they had forty odd thousand for the final. How much pressure does that put on the opposition? Right, I mean, think about this. I did this in the uh, in my Ricardo reckons at the top of the show. Uh, France missed a key penalty right on the dot to win that game. Pressure from the crowd, a lot of crowd noise. England throw to the line out right on the the, the crowds behind the team trying to get them home, and they and uh, you know they spill it. So I mean the crowd I think played a massive part. Mm, well we we have on the show someone who was in that line out. Uh, Sarah Hidney will be joining us just after one, and I'll ask her about the crowd. Mm. Um, could she watch? Yeah, you know, just what was the chat? Because we'd seen so. So much uh, positive, effective for the English fans. They're rolling more. It's just unstoppable. And you could see the Blackfans go, how do we stop this? Then they started competing and started spoiling. It was it was a great mid-game changer tactic. It was. I, I'm interested in that because I talked a bit about this with Taylor Johnson and Steve Devine yesterday. We did a Bleeding Black. And about how the laws around the rolling mall need to be looked at potentially. You know, I think there were times, I thought the Scottish referee had a pretty good final, but there were times where it looked like the English rolling mall had stopped and she wouldn't give them the one. Mm, and yes, it's like, you I know, saw that too. And I'm like, well, maybe we don't give them the one. Maybe it stops, use it. Yeah. That's it, you don't get a second crack. And that's one way. And the other thing I, I wonder, and I don't know if you know uh, the answer to the staff, but maybe it's something we're going to float out there. Maybe there's a rugby referee listening who can answer this. Jeff the ref. Jeff the ref. If you take the legs of the player in the mall who has got the ball in their arms, is that still taking collapsing a mall? Because you're yeah. tackling the ball carrier. Yeah, but you can't tackle them in a mall. Yeah, so I think I can answer that, Jeff the ref. You can text through, double eight, double three. I think that, yeah, you can't. Yeah, but I mean, it's they need to do something to be so you can... Uh, you know, combat it. And the other one I, I think that probably needs looking at is not having 
players between the ball carrier and the opposition because that is truck and trailing. That's offside, right? So whoever's got the ball, if they've got their back to, to the, the attacking line, um, they have to be the, the lead player from their team. Mm, yeah, I agree. I, I agree. It's in every other part of the game, that's not allowed. No. Exactly. So why should it be allowed in a rolling mall? I mean, given that England is so good at it, World Rugby probably won't change anything just yet. <laughs> <laughs> With my cynic hat on. Um, but there you go. Um, yeah, what else you got coming up on the show today, mate? So apart from Sarah Hidney, we're mm. going to talk sport UK cricket commentator John Norman after England's wonderful T20 World Cup win. Um, have a chat to him about that. I want to ask him about the impact of that that World Cup had in the UK as well, being at Talk Sport. Fonzie, who's host of this Warriors Life podcast about the Rugby League World Cup semi-finals, and a very special young New Zealander by the name of Maya Mariner, um, founder of a movement called Lazy Sneakers, which provides running shoes for those that can't afford them or sports shoes for kids that can't afford them. Uh, 10,000 shoes she's provided across New Zealand. And she's 17. And she's speaking at a World Sports Conference this week. That is superb. Mm. That is superb. Is that the the one that uh, Ricky Jane Swinell's emceeing? Pretty much every woman that's involved in sport in Mm. New Zealand is speaking there. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah, mate. That is uh, that's a great event that's taking place this week and next. I think is it. Yeah, there's so many speakers. And uh, spoiler alert: I'm hoping Mm. the former Deputy Prime Minister of South Africa, a very high, powerful woman. Um, hopefully have her on the show this week as well. Oh, mate, how good. Mm. How good pulling out all the big guns, Staff. Go on, go on. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. All right, uh, get in amongst it with Staff after midday. It is Midday Madness, and Staff will take you through the afternoons until the run home with Beaven Kirst at four. We'll be back again tomorrow morning from nine. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it, like um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.